The world is made up of an unimaginable number of beings, all exchanging energy, effort, and ideas. Within this jungle, value is in the eye of the beholder. And we here at this little radio entity would never demand you give back or paywall our shows, mostly because we know that you will be the one solely responsible for your own karma. Meanwhile, while you don't donate, Kurt and I are stacking merit like a ballot box, making our ghost friends even stronger. If you like the idea of both giving back and having a potent empowerment for your spirit team, there's a donate button in the show notes, and you can offer that merit to any spirit of your choosing. Or if you're on a podcasting 2.0 app, which we recommend, you can donate Bitcoin easily. And beyond that, I am always looking for special materials like lightning struck wood, ritually grown or foraged herbs and roots, ethically sourced human remains, and much more I haven't even thought of yet. We are a value for value podcast, which means that we ask you, our beloved listeners, to honestly ask yourselves, each one of you, what you get out of the show. And then simply return the favor in whatever way that works best for you and in whatever amount that you decide upon. Donors of over $50 have the option to be thanked on air if they'd like to. And a monthly recurring donations of $20 or more includes you in a monthly blessing by Kurt, myself, and Tim Saylor from our sister show, Nightbird Radio Podcast. Talented magicians working closely with Arahant monk remains, angels, and saints for your prosperity and protection. We cannot keep this project up without your love and support. Thank you. Now, enjoy the show. Let me tell you a story, and it's all about... seen Ferngully in decades literally decades yeah i think it's the same for me i don't remember the last time i watched this it's it had been you know i don't know whatever like you know 15 or 20 years for me until maybe like right before we'd moved out here and uh and i watched it once then and i watched it just the other day to like refresh myself and make some really hilarious notes now that i'm looking back at them it's usually (laughs) everybody Everybody should watch Ferengali High. It really adds to its uh, credibility <laughs> enjoyment factor. <laughs> but uh, it was, it's like, it's a movie from my youth, right? Like, well, there's, so I was thinking like, what's, what's recent that's also not awful and dystopian that I would want to like say that this is my favorite thing. This is what I'm all about. I'm like, nothing, <laughs> nothing <laughs> history has been like, you know, uplifting in any way. It's like, where, how far do I have to go back to find something that's, 
you know, uplifting and it has some sort of a message I would align with. I was like, wow, all the way back, all the way back to the childhood. So that's why that's why I went with Fern Gully. It was sort of a toss up between that and a movie that I'm pretty certain nobody has ever seen um, called Medicine Man with Sean Connery. And so it was those two movies. Oh, wait, no, that's that's the one where he's he's there's like ants in the Amazon. Yeah, he's, right. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I've seen that movie multiple times. <laughs> oh, so good. Good for you. I I fell in love with the rainforest and the jungle and all that stuff. Maybe not like because of those things, but synchronously, like the, this, there's some movies. There was like the, the rainforest was a really big thing at that point. Like we're cutting all the, down all the rainforest to give cows to McDonald's and that kind of thing. Like, which it's true. Still, still a true story. Unfortunately, we didn't win that fight or anything. We're still a problem, but <coughs> it's that era that Fern Gully comes out of. And that's the area era of my like, uh, eco radicalization <laughs> or whatever it's as we've come around like you know years and years later there's this sort of like full circle experience to that's kind of what I'm about now so I thought that was I thought that was a good place to pick it was like that or fight club and fight club just pisses everyone off for reasons that I don't really understand it's not at all the message that like I got out of the book or the movie so yeah I'll digress on that one but like that was one of the other formative ones, but I don't want to, I don't want to like die on that hill. I'm not going to plant my flag <laughs> on that one. I don't know. That might be fun to do because like it, it, I feel like the fight clubs, like the attitude towards it's like switched like multiple times over. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Every time. Like I, that just uh, means it's good, you know, people. Keep yeah. I, right. I, I still think it's amazing. I thought it was amazing when I first walked out of the theater watching it. It's, yeah. But yeah, there's like a weird discourse that I think it's because it's so masculine. That's probably right. why. I mean, yeah. we have the toxic masculinity thing now that's sort of an undeniable reality. But then there's like five sides to every argument that are dumb. Right. And yeah. while it was, yes, an example of toxic, mas- toxic masculinity, it was also kind of like a satirization of it. So to say that it's about that is, uh, I don't know, that's kind of like too base of a view to really appreciate the layers of fucked up that go into palinux works right like they're they're not just like the first layer of fucked up but you just keep on peeling them and they get more and more awkward and dark so <laughs> if we want to have that conversation you know another time or whatever but yeah uh, like if you see toxic masculine instead of debaucherous trickster you're you're just doing it wrong <laughs> yeah right 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 i mean if you don't walk away from that movie like hail eris fuck yeah for all the wrong reasons <laughs> then you know we're, we didn't see the same thing obviously <laughs> I used to watch Fight Club uh, every night when I got home from delivering newspapers uh, on Inglewood Beach in, a, in my old mm. prism. And my buddy would and I would like smoke like all the legal drugs we could order on the Internet and put them together in a pipe in pipes <laughs> and smoke them while we deliver newspapers and come home and put on either Fight Club or Fully Cooley and just fall asleep to those two things. It was a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those movies for me but yeah i yeah. think it's so cool that you've identified this like seed area of your life where it's sort of like a, a patch of of fertile soil where these things were planted and like from that like it's it took all this time to like fully come into fruition but like here you are it's it's so cool that you said that, like I, while you're saying i was thinking like yeah, you know, really all I want to do is make ambulance because it combines like helping people with like destroying materialism. Because if you have this thing that you just say some words and like, it's like, yes, I'm still magic, like every day, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's something really. Um, and then the idea of like putting all these precious things that you've gone on excursions to collect together and making it beautiful. And like the, all of that is just like, like when I was younger, I would like 
use a little like leather briefcase thing and I would make a fake store with fake talismans in it and like try to sell oh, them nice. at church. <laughs> <laughs> at church, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I would like collect stones and like, you know, tell myself like I'm really young and like tell myself like which one, what each thing did and all these That's things. Awesome. Like, and so it's like growing eventually into that, like, like you're saying, like I've been noticing that with myself. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I also didn't realize how fucking formative this movie was. For me. Like, I never think of Ferngully as being one that was like right. uh, a big deal. I think of like Lion King and Jurassic Park and things mm-hmm. like that. But like somehow this one slipped in the background in my like uh, nostalgia. Uh, I, I think it doesn't um, it since it's not Disney and it's not even Don Bluth. I think it's yeah. I've, I don't know. I don't know the the team that made it i feel like they were probably like don blues b team because it has a feeling of like the animation style feels like his stuff but just not as not as polished um Mm -hmm. so i think it's probably it probably hasn't had the like the advertising and marketing thing to keep it in the collective conscious in the Mm -hmm. same way like it doesn't come up as much yeah, and the last thing I can I remember being associated with is like everybody was talking about how Avatar is just Fern Gully with like right blue people or something like. And I'm like, I guess I kind of see that, but I think they're different things. Oh, you made Fern Gully racist, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, Batty was like a. a a seriously formative character to me. Like I always think of Ace Ventura and Bugs Bunny and, and Wiley Coyote and, and people like that. But it, it turns mm. out like Batty was a really big, and, and Robin Williams in that character was like, yeah, super. I, I went around saying all the lines to this and somehow I'd forgotten that this was such a major like part of my. Yeah, I used to have them memorized for no good reason. And uh, and sometimes they'll still like, once the movie came on, I was like, oh my God, I still know the words to this. <laughs> right, right, I know the same thing. It's also it. it well, th- this was also before. I think this was before Aladdin too. So this was like, mm-hmm. this is like his the genie, but much more contained. Like you can see, yeah. like wh- like where it's gonna, it'll erupt in the full insanity. Like it, where they're like, let's just roll, just say whatever you want. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was also remembering like lines from Aladdin as this was playing. I was like. Like delicious and nutri- or like the delicious and nutritious part led me to like the Tupperware thing. He's like, oh, still good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just like somehow this like the chicken was in the Tupperware. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know they they did that thing where I don't remember if anybody else. I guess they they had like Christian Slater or something was maybe like the, <laughs> yeah, the boyfriend he, who like yeah. got kind of snubbed in the deal. <laughs> yeah, that was that was so weird because I called. I was like, is that Slater? Right. Yeah. And then ten other than that, it didn't seem like they had like a bunch of big names in it or whatever. But it was like a bunch of people and Robin Williams and Robin Williams like carried the obviously the comic relief and the majority of I would say probably the context of it. Like why are humans bad and why what's the character development of this? Why are we afraid of everything? All of those details were kind of like tied together by the baddie character, and it's a complete goof. But at the same time, it's what makes it. It would have been like overbearing without him because it would just would have yeah. been Krista, right? Krista and would have been preachy. Sort of like almost love story, but can't because you're a human and I'm a fairy, whatever that is, you know, like that, that would have been too eye-rollingly terrible to endure, especially, you know, 20 plus years later or whatever. But 
Robin Williams is epic, man. That stuff never gets old. It's still, it's still good. There's certain people who are just like, they know he made every movie I can really tell. I can think of a single one where I was like, oh, that was terrible, Robin Williams. No, was, they're pretty much all fantastic in one weird way or another. And, and you know, it's like 90% him too. Like you said, they yeah. just put a camera and be like, I don't know, you do you, man. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think I think it took time for them to just sort of realize, like, why are we trying to contain this dude? <laughs> <laughs> That's not the fun part. Yeah, no, not at just all. Just wind him up. <laughs> well, it, it's it's probably between him and Tim Curry is the mm-hmm. real reason to... to oh, yeah, Although, yeah, that's right. The back uh, Tim, Curry, Tim, Curry as Alan, Tim Curry as Alan Rickman as Texas. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's Although I, me- I remember him being more prominent or something. I don't know. Like, uh, I think it's because like when it ends, like he he's like legitimate, like that scene where he's, it's like the skeleton and the monk and the flame. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I remember about that character. Not the weird, like sultry, right. like big oh. chin thing. Right. Um, uh, yeah, and he's another one of those weird, like, Tim Curry kind of exists separate from whatever material that surrounds him. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, both him and Robin Williams are like that. Like, it's, you're kind of following them. It's whatever the movie is in, it's like, whatever. But it's like, you're, 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 you're like, tracking them through stuff. Um, and he, may, he has such a great fucking villain voice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's been there. He wasn't he in like that video game Red Alert too? Wasn't he like the yeah, Russian? He was. <laughs> it was this like video on YouTube where they cut together all of the times where he couldn't keep a straight face. You know, <laughs> doing this and made it into the game. There was just no way he could take it seriously. Awesome. No, I thought I thought Hexus. I, it hit me this time watching it. I was like, they kind of fucked up because they made Hexus too cool. Yeah, interesting, right? There was like, a, not till the end, right? When he was all big and scary. Maybe that was well, like I, sort of I the allure it, of it, right? Like there's the allure of convenience and the lure yeah. of like speed and stuff. So that's that's where I would come to. But yeah, it wasn't like like if you didn't if you walked in not a, a tree hugger, I don't know that that movie converted you. You didn't like, like Zach. <laughs> you were like, oh my god, we got to save all the trees. So, just you know, like went home and watched heavy metal again. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, ate some McDonald's on the way home. And be like, yeah. That was weird. <laughs> Shit on a seal. <laughs> um, I gotta go find the demon tree and and, and yeah, right. <laughs> like <open>. a, <laughs> free the smoke demons. <laughs> it was fun yeah. to hear uh, Sarah Palmer's mom in this. <laughs> I think in the nineties, oh. like you probably would have had like those were the two kids, right? You had us tree huggers and then you had the like let's just all burn it down anyway fuck the world and and those kids probably didn't get the message my goth friends who were uh you know cutting themselves in the corner or whatever they probably didn't get the you know the beauty in life is inherent in the being together they came out of that they, they soft played that one like just a little bit in the movie but yeah. the only way someone could be that miserable is if they're inside themselves <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, like as somebody who I guess was susceptible, right? I don't remember which I watched first, if it was Fern Gully or if it was Medicine Man or whatever, but I, I was like high on jungle vibes and I really wanted more of it. So whichever one I did first, I like found the other one and I watched the shit out of that one too. And it, 
it fed, thank God it was more this that fed my sense of later identity than fight club. So I got still got my teeth and so forth, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, they were, they were formative in the sense that like you could be a rebel, right? I mean, I was very punk. It was, I was anti, I don't know, whatever, whatever I could be anti. It's very angsty. So it all had to go somewhere. I had to be anti something. And it was certainly anti-establishment. Um, but at the time, like I grew up in some small town and I was homeschooled. So anti-establishment just meant that I wanted to get the fuck out of town. <laughs> I just wanted to that's go away that's 90% home. of anti-establishment, I think, is yeah. like generally just like I need to get out of here. <laughs> just Still chasing that dream now, unless I'm jumping, you know, country borders. But uh the these movies, what they did is they fed this like, oh, you can just like go do something wildly different, you know, and in the case of Ferngully, he had sort of a day job or whatever, and he didn't realize what he had. And he walked into the woods and met a cute fairy lady and then, you know, changed his mind like it, like you do. And then uh, <laughs> and from there forward, he went to, I don't know, join like, you know, the Rainforest Action Network or whatever, <clears throat> whoever the sponsored the movie. But, you know, in, in Medicine Man, there was sort of an equivalent like gal from the big city who's a you know pharma executive research person comes in with all these high-minded judgments about what life is like when you're a real deal scientist and now i'm saying it again i'm like i'm gonna watch that movie <laughs> sounds so good looking at our our current time again but um you know the the wisdom of of the modern day doesn't really work in the jungle and so something about that idea really i think appealed to my young and and still shaping mind and i grew up in a family where uh, I mean, we were weird, right? Like if I ever get Gordon to ask me that, are you a weird kid? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I had to be, my family was a bunch of weird kids and, and it just kind of trickled down from there, but they didn't know what they were. Like they were still sort of like half in the real world and just really, really didn't want to be there, you know? So they kind of got the the dichotomy experience, but I was born in the Philippines on the Clark or near the Clark Air Force Base was, that's what's why they were, why we were there, they were stationed out there and they loved the tropics. And so I like, spent a, I didn't remember any of it. They came back before it, but it was very formative to them and the kind of stories they tell. They came out recently and like, they didn't tell a single story that wasn't from either the Philippines or, the, or Costa Rica where they lived for a year later. Like they were here for five days, for five days. They're like, this reminds me so much of when I was in the Philippines. I'm like, I'm 40, almost one years old, mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> gotta find some new stories jesus <laughs> but you know it, it was like it was so impactful because there's something about the the life that's in a tropical place and, and particularly in and around the jungle and so <clears throat> that's where we are now right like we came back to the jungle and there were these various things that happened throughout life not all of them being movies some of them being personal experiences and stuff but uh, like a, a trip when my, my dad took me to like see the world and teach me that not everything is like what it's like where you grow up, right? We did that when I was 16 and we came here, uh, basically Tulum and a little south of Tulum in a little city called Felipe Carrillo Puerto, where we had some friends. And uh, those friends are people like my dad was part of a church group, came down and like handed out medicine and candy to kids and stuff like that. And their local guy was a, a Mayan uh, pastor. Mm-hmm. really nice family kind of thing. And so we stayed with them half the time. And then we like hung out on a, on a beach that we could no longer afford these days called Shpuha about halfway from Tulum in like Cancun. And it's just like mind blowingly fucking gorgeous. I've mm-hmm. never personally seen anything more beautiful than the beaches and the jungles of this place. I'm sure there are places, but I have not been to them. And this like rocked my world in a very big way. Uh, and it's like right at that moment where you're trying to figure out what you want to be. So like the movies, you know, from Gully and Medicine Man or whatever would have been like, 
three or four years before that or something. So long enough that I was like preaching to everyone. I was boycotting McDonald's. <laughs> I was I was telling everyone like save the rainforest. I was writing letters to my senator and shit. And so I was very hyped for an in-system way of being. Because my you know my my family, like I said, they were sort of hybrid. They my dad went to work for the government. They were both in the military for a little while, and so they didn't really they weren't punk. You know, like I was I was becoming punk, but that's not really where I was brought up. I was brought up to like pay your taxes and do what the authorities say. Yeah. <laughs> That didn't work very well. But as I, you know, grew into seeing that, like, it doesn't matter how much we rail at this, my little young Greta Thunberg self, you know, I was like, like, I can't stop this machine. I can't just <clears throat> trap it in a tree and that we're you know, going to go save the world or whatever. It doesn't work like that. Uh, it's more like the end of Medicine Man, right, where they uh, burn down the rainforest. You're like, God damn it, I, I had the solution to the biggest <laughs> problem in the world. Y'all fucked it up. You're like, that's <laughs> that's more that's a more accurate version of the, the story that we actually face. Right. And so that cooked and percolated for a couple of years. And then he took his little punk ass son, my dad did to, to Mexico and let me stay in the jungle with some folks that like, uh, you know, I mean, they know what modern life is, but they don't participate in it all that well. Mm-hmm. And so I spent like nine or 10 days doing that here. We didn't speak, he didn't speak English to me the whole time. Cause he's fluent in Spanish and I just kind of had to do the like sink or swim thing, playing with the Mexican kids locally. And, and the kind of kids you're talking about here, they're not, <clears throat> it's not central Mexico. It's like, if there were still Mayans, this is like the closest thing that we have to mind. It's like people who live in the country even always lived here. Hmm. They even have like in this area, when you buy land, like the land that we're, my wife and I are buying in the jungle, you have it sort of allocated to you and eventually titled by a, in a, a group, an association of families called an ajito. And so everything belongs to <clears throat> these ajitos and there's, I don't know how many of them, but like dozens of them. And they each get like a couple of hundred hectares worth of land. And they got this, like, I think back in like the thirties between, you know, the 1910s, 1920s uh, and thirties, something like that. It's sort of like reparations for when they deforested the Yucatan and, you know, sold it off to countries like, let's say the United States and so forth for cheap, cheap. Right. Well, once they had, ruined the area and it was no longer usable they just sort of like gave it back to the locals the you know quote unquote kind of mayans and said like this is our gift our reparation back to you this thing that you already you already had for tens of thousands of years now we fucked it up welcome welcome back and uh and they said gee thanks and have been kind of you know letting it do its thing and taking care of it in their various ways some of which you know i mean maybe they don't all remember because they were all kind of turned into a labor force you know, half a century ago or more. So there's this kind of like rough, young, new growth forest thing that's happening here that like really needs revitalization. And I got to witness what it was like for people who were kind of like that hybrid when I was a kid, let's say 16, <clears throat> they would do like slash and burn um, forest care. And it was like a fight between the local, I mean, again, it's, to call them indigenous people is not quite right because the, the Spanish came in and thoroughly spread themselves throughout the local population. And so there's not, there's not quite like hard lines in this area, but the folks who've been living here for forever, his families are from here and so forth. Like they know how to do this, but they have to fight against the government, which is influenced by external things, telling them like, no, no, you can't slash and burn because ecology, because whatever, right? And it's, that's not actually how it works. They, they've been milpa farming in this area of the world for literally like 30,000 years. And it's just a really complicated, like grow, cut and fallow, you know, compost and then regrow again thing that it's, it's a permaculture technology that 
pre-existed permaculture by a really long time, you know? So it's, it's interesting to get to see that in person, to be formed and shaped by these movies that are perspectivist. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with what was interesting about Ferngully in the first place is it's kind of perspectivist, maybe Medicine Man a little bit too. Uh, but I'll come back to that in a second. But like, it was interesting to get to see it from this perspective of like, I'm not there as somebody who knows shit. <laughs> I'm just this, I'm just some kid. And they're like, this is what we're going to do today. And my dad was like, learn, go learn kid, you know, like here, experience life, you know, good on him. Right. And so I did. And I, was formed more by these like punk ethos counterculture things that like, as you said, like nobody knows about this fucking movie because it wasn't advertised. It was like not a popular thing at the time. This is, there's no way to make money on this idea of not cutting down rainforests. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big issue for anybody except like this weird eco-punk thing at the time. And then that getting the opportunity to see not eco-punk, like, because that's, sort of our, I hesitate to call it like a white person reaction, but it kind of is. It's, it stemmed in the white guilt of doing bad things to the environment that now we have the Rainforest Action Network and we have the Sierra Foundation. You have all these things that are like, they're conservation groups that go tell people who have already been managing, you know, wildlands for long, long, long periods of time. Like, no, no, you can't do it like that because of conservation. And they're just like good meaning. They want good things. They're, they're doing this for the right reasons, but as tends to be the way you approach it like from a Western framework and you think you know what's right for some other place. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of this is like, what's an invasive species? <laughs> that's, that's such an interesting question because here I live in a place that like, well, most of it, well, most of it is like natural species were deforested. It's not like they're gone, but <clears throat> what grew back wasn't like the healthy, vibrant ecology that was originally here in the Yucatan, right? It's like, just the shit that grows fastest. That's what we have. We have a bunch of like, if I go in my woods, I get like five trees. They're all impressive, but like there's not a lot of biodiversity because of this deforestation that has previously happened, right? Uh, and so is it wrong to plant a neem tree, which is a tree that I think originated in India or whatever, like Western mentality understands its origin was from India. Well, it grows like gangbusters here and it solves local biosphere problem, like balances out things that we probably eradicated and removed in our ignorance previously it like it fills it back in and if you are an animist as i am <clears throat> or whatever you might call that then the land itself has some kind of autonomy and has personhood and has this opinion has an opinion right it's making informed decisions for itself that like no this is good for me i'm gonna let this grow here uh it, it makes you wonder because i grew up in north carolina and like kudzu was this insane problem because it was introduced and then it was a problem and nobody knew what to do with it. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, what are the medicinal, what's the, the medicinal purpose of kudzu? How is nature trying to tell you that, no, no, man, you like, you really need this in your diet. <laughs> you need that. We, we killed this other thing and this is here to replace it. Cause I think that's what that is. And, and I don't know what the answer in kudzu is, but that's like everyone's favorite example. Yeah. And the other one that I think is interesting is like, say, take Ivy, for example, right? I loved Ivy because I grew up in a place where like, yeah, I mean, it, it's good, but it's not going to take over your house. Whereas anybody who <clears throat> is in like the UK or Ireland or something, they're like, that shit destroys my foundation and like it ruins mm -hmm. things. And I'm just wondering like, well, is it, is that its purpose, right? Like, does it take apart the things that aren't being tended? Is, is that what nature's trying to do? And I got another really good example for you, right? This one is current. There's this, the red tide that's happening, this big wave of what we call sargassum, the, um, the, the dead seaweed, right? That comes from basically over fertilizing everything and 
than that eroding out into the ocean and that killing <clears throat> all the all the seaweed right and it's big and stinky and sulfurous and it's like what did i hear i don't know if it's true or not but something like twice the length of the united states or something like that like this is massive thing out in the ocean that's makes you feel slamming sick. <clears throat> like what? you feel like you're getting sick too like you get like yeah a right back you throw your eyes water it sucks <laughs> like florida we'd have it every like two months because all the golf courses yeah 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 and i mean here it's constant right i mean we're on the like the other side of the gulf of mexico and mm-hmm. we we get some good um relief i guess from the way that the the water moves around the Gulf and like the current of it doesn't drop all of it off on our shores, but it's like a constant problem. It's really bad right now, but I I understand Florida is getting just absolutely creamed by this to the point where like people are getting sick, Hmm. but you have to ask yourself like, well, I mean, if you're the earth, right. If we're, if we're applying personhood and autonomy to the earth, is that not just like a liver cleanse or something like here, assholes, take this shit back. That's so disgusting. Get that off, get out of my water. Like, don't you know what the water is for? We all need the ocean <laughs> to be the ocean. It serves a purpose. So I'm going to like scoop this up for you and I'm going to need you to go do something with it on the land somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think that's what that is. So it's, it, you yeah. know, we could stop the problem, <clears throat> but not I, until we adjust our, our actions. Yeah, I really love these perspectives. Like, um, I think uh, to add to the kudzu thing, like we're facing uh, quote unquote, like, like, you know, meat problems, shortages, right? Like there's all these diseases, so they have to cull them and then it drives the price up. And, and it's really, a, but it's, but it's actually, it's not that really, I mean, it's kind of that, but it's also climate change and it's, it's all these, but really everyone in that entire region of North America, that's quote invested with kudzu, like, you yeah. just just start raising goats like goats eat kudzu all day long they're like they can eat they can pretty much survive on a diet of just kudzu and like what an excellent point yeah seriously that's what it is saying, like, like switch crops raise your own goats like yeah <laughs> actually right. actually isn't kudzu edible too to humans yeah it is i forget what it's like you know if it's more like spinach or what what is like value yeah. proposition is but it is i think edible yeah <laughs> like hateful kale <laughs> well kale is hateful to begin with so I yeah mean. seriously i was gonna say it's not the nicest of vegetables it's pretty rough actually but you know everything what i fundamentally believe and you know whatever fuck it fern gully taught me this right is that everything serves a purpose in the biosphere and the biosphere serves all purposes it may not be clear because some of these things you know it's not like equilibrium between two forces you know sometimes it's the bird picks the crocodile's teeth and it gets some of its you know nutrition from that or whatever sometimes it's direct like that usually it's not sometimes you know trees grow extra nuts so that squirrels make stores of them and then the squirrel like dies or you know has plenty of nuts or whatever and the tree's like fuck yeah i just planted like 50 nuts in the ground and that's a bonus Mm -hmm. we get there's cooperation that happens through self-actualization right like it's for it's something doing its own thing and then it's without even its awareness being necessary in fact like the more autonomous that it is the more that it kind of like fits into how nature wants it to be and i i would argue that that's not pure evolution from chaos and it's obviously not intelligent design that's not my vibe but it is nature as a living organism that is intelligent going i need to do something to facilitate this Right. Hmm. Another one of my, <clears throat> sorry, another one of my favorites is like goats. And I'm sure this is some co-evolution stuff, but I think, you know, we, we went to goats originally because they had an inclination towards this, but 
goats will produce milk for far more than they need for their kids, right? They, your kids and their kids. That's that's how that works. And so if you if you learn how to like keep the the, the goat rhythms, <laughs> right? If you learn the rhythms of the goat and you can work with it, then and you can that's get, my that's my next album, rhythms. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that's very solid. If you like the G dot O dot, like that's awesome, actually. But uh, if um if you learn how to like work with nature and understand just, just by observation, understand how nature works back with you, it'll provide more through an animal than the animal needs so that you can be a part of the system because you will then take care of the animal and everybody's happy, right? Like that, that works. That doesn't mean that the end of like, you're not going to eat a goat occasionally, like, sure, of course, but at a species level, nature's like, yeah, that, that works. That's, that's a good balance. And so from an understanding is you have that kind of like immediate hesitate to call it infantile view, but like we'll go with inexperienced. That first impression of nature is like, but it's scary. Something could eat me. It's like, what well, could if it were hungry at the exact moment that you were passing through. And if you looked like you were, you know, <clears throat> a convenient snack or whatever, you don't most of the time. Um, bugs probably don't give a shit about you. Most of, the, most of nature is like doing a thing that has absolutely nothing to do with you. And if anything, you're kind of the asshole in the situation you're causing a disruption in whatever the normal path of things was happening, right? Like standing in traffic or whatever, like probably people are going to try to avoid you rather than run into you. But like, yeah, you're running some kind of a risk because the hungry truck drivers might not stop for you. I'm sorry, bud. But, you know, the same kind of rules apply. If, if you exist in a way that is in alignment with nature, you run a far less personal risk, right? Like there's still that sort of species statistical risk because stuff's got to eat. And like you, you too, right? Like the, you're part of the chain. You don't necessarily get to escape that one. Something's going to eat you. Usually what's funny is like the small things end up eating us. And I'm not trying to get eaten by a lion or whatever. Like, good. I'm glad I don't die like that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you don't die from disease, which is just being eaten by something, something small that you can't see. Right. <clears throat> or you, uh, ignorance. When, when you worry, you look like food. Yeah, right. No, that's very true. Like, and any kind of vulnerability, right? Like, I don't know that I would go hiking in Jaguar country if I had an open wound or a lame leg or something like that. That might not be the day for it. But there's, there's a really awesome, I'm not going to be able to quote this exactly, but we'll go with, there's a passage from um, Eduardo Cohn's How Forests Think, which is a complex but wonderful book on the kind of multi-leveled co-experiencing, coexisting that happens in a forest, right? And it's from an anthropologist view who's trying to convince people to step out of their perspective and see it from this like all perspectives are equal kind of thing. <clears throat> but he talks about a story that he related. He was with the Avila Runa, some you know, Indians in the Ecuadorian Amazon, and they were you know, camping out one night and they told him to make sure that he slept face up so that he looked like a person to the jaguar that might wander through their camp in the middle of the night because that was really important if he didn't want to end up being a snack and i just that like sunk in this idea of the importance of personhood <laughs> so mm -hmm. fundamentally so like viscerally i'm like yeah you're right i'm not a snack i am a person i need you to witness me as a person i witness you as a person <laughs> you know it puts you puts you on a more level playing field and kind of like talking about full circles and so forth. I recently did an absolutely wonderful mushroom ceremony, um, sort of in the jungle, like right on the edge of the jungle anyway, like out in what we call out in the jungle. <clears throat> and we, we spent all night just like out on this flattened out dirt area next to the jungle, we built a little fire and fortunately had some shamans like being our guardians and so forth. But we were just like camping out under the stars in the middle of nowhere, you know, four or five miles outside the city on some 
mushrooms that had been sung to for many weeks by the shamans who you know care for them and administered to us with such love and care and so forth. And it was this like really beautiful moment where I felt delightfully feral. And that was sort of right. I was there with a bunch of tourists, <clears throat> but the wonderful thing about mushrooms is like it throws you into your space and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But like, I'm here in this bubble where <laughs> I'm this feral creature here. And I am, you know, I'm here one with the fire. I'm one with the sky. It's all right here. But obviously I'm having a really great time, but the being with came to the surface in a way that I'm like, I'm not, I haven't yet blogged about it, right? I haven't been able to make coherent sense about this story, but it came together in this wonderful moment of not needing anything between me and nature. And I walked away from it going like, fuck, I got to sleep under the stars more often. Like mm -hmm. I'm there, something could have came up, a scorpion could have crawled on top of me, could have, you know, whatever, snakes and bugs and stuff. There's a fire, there's a fire and there's some people watching. So it was pretty, there were some training wheels in this experience, but I feel emboldened now <laughs> to go sleep in my own jungle. <laughs> and it's going to be a little bit more hardcore than that, you know, but there's something, what I, what I recognized is I, I go out there and I'll fuck around, I'll play with my machete, I'll build stuff and make paths and things because <clears throat> we're still waiting on permits to build the house. And I'm getting to know the land and so forth. And, and all that's great. It's been, it's like a nature walk where I'm part of it instead of I'm visiting it. Like I'm, I'm a part of this place. I have done a lot of place-based spirit work with this to, to build relationship with this place. So it's more like showing up in your safe space, your favorite place and like, you know, playing in your, it's not my personal sandbox, but I think you know where I'm going anyway. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's that. And then I go home, right? Like I get in my car and I, go home and I take off my jungle clothes and I wash off the jungle dirt. And that's probably a good idea to wash off the dirt or whatever. But where I'm going with this is when I'm able to live there, when I'm fuck it, camping out there, when I go do something that's more real and feral, it's going to be really interesting for the, the kind of reality shift that happens in that moment, you know, guardians not included when I actually have to like be okay in the dark in the jungle by myself <laughs> little things like that i mean it's like it's jungle where they're building houses so it's it's still got some basic you know uh training wheels on it but at the same time i mean there's like monkeys in the trees there's all kinds of animals out there you're you're probably not going to become a jaguar snack but i think about that story a lot regardless about yeah, personhood and, and, and you know bi-directionally yeah. have you started have you started wearing the mask on the back of your head is that uh <laughs> I don't know if that's specifically to jaguars, but I remember that's a thing with so certain large cats. Is like interesting. Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah, I like uh, that. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's cool how like there's there's also thinking about the uh, like uh, monks on Tudong that will like wandering the jungles in Thailand and uh, and uh, Myanmar and and such. They'll like if they come across a tiger, they just stop and start chanting kata. And like, I'm not sure if they do Buddhist kata and go into non-self. So it's like, I'm not even here. Hmm. Or if they are doing tiger kata to be like, right. I am also a tiger, move along. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's it's one of the two, I'm pretty sure. And I think it's just really cool. Like, there are ways, to, like, you don't actually have to be afraid. Like, you just need to be trained or told how to how to do it or yeah. shown how, like how yeah. to how to like be with these beings and how to navigate them the same way a different way but in the same sort of dynamic fashion that you would the people of the city um right it's right just i mean like there's there's risks in both places you just have to know how to like 
Well, you know, I mean, if you're at the cowboy bar and somebody is looking for a fight, like don't make eye contact with that guy. You know, you know how to avoid that. If if you're walking down the alley and anybody asks you for anything, you're like, no, thank you. You know, that's what they, those are always the ways that you avoid getting eaten by the tigers of the urban environment. And Which is interesting because it's it's different in the jungle. So like a city person going to oh, just ignore the tiger. No, you're <laughs> no, not the same strategy for sure. <laughs> No, I, it's funny because like I grew up running around in the woods of North Carolina and like yeah, the woods of the woods, like it's, it's sort of true. Uh, we got different colors. Like there's, you know, you have to, you have to be aware of the unique persons in this place because we have different venomous spiders and, you know, snakes and so forth, but they have the same things in the world. Like there are some things that you reach your hand in, they're going to bite you. Maybe you don't want to do that. There's some things you want to maybe like... Let them know you're coming before you walk up on the, you know, potential snake bit. But like, yeah, that's what I did when I was a kid. Fuck, when I was a kid, I was invincible. We had miles of woods access accessible to us, right? We just do all kinds of crazy shit. There was a hurricane that came through, a big one, Hurricane Hugo, when I was uh, like seven or eight. And it knocked down all these big oak trees. And it made this like crazy set of like highways through the, it wasn't, wasn't my backyard because back in the day, like you could just run in through somebody else's backyard. No worries, right? <clears throat> so there was the guy who we butted up against he owned like everything from there to i don't know like the next county or something and it was all woods so we would just go like running along these down trees and making forts out of these things and it was honestly like the best of times i cannot imagine a better childhood opportunity than like a reason to spend a hundred percent of your time outside and the leash free like i had to tell people where i was going on my bike i want to go in the woods no way yeah. i could do whatever there's no there was no rules at all you know all kinds of trouble back there in the woods and so i spent most of my childhood like doing crazy shit like that probably shit that was not safe to do running and jumping off of trees and into brush piles and you know come home with like 17 ticks on you and be like i lived but you go into this like adult phase where one it's not accessible to you and two, like, it's not okay to go running around and play in the woods anymore. Not, it doesn't feel okay to you. It doesn't seem okay to anybody else in the world. And like my dad, to his credit, that's basically what he still does for fun. He's like, I'm going away for the weekend. Don't ask me questions. And he goes like <laughs> camping where he just, you know, it's fun and plays in the woods for a couple of days. But it's, it's the kind of like deep wood stuff. Not like I want to have a, a grill out. I want to go fishing. Like, no, I just want to go roll around in the dirt and listen to the birds and stuff. And, and so I, I had those as, um, influences you know my family was pretty back to land they lived the tropics it took me to mexico when i was a kid we fed me full of all of this like pro nature propaganda <laughs> you know, so so it comes from comes from somewhere they're also like enormous gardeners they talk about the hundreds of pounds of vegetables that they pull out like oh yeah we got like 200 pounds of blueberries this year off of the bushes in the back that was pretty light for this season <laughs> it's that kind of a thing <laughs> so uh it comes from somewhere but the punk ethos and the finding a way to do this that makes it make sense, I think is what I'm like contributing to this, <clears throat> contributing in this incarnation and, and to this like family line, this theme or whatever. And by that, I mean, you know, I, we started with wanting to run away, like 2020 happened and we we're like, we were already planning on, I, I hated the United States and living in Dallas particularly. And I really wanted to just go anywhere else and do something else. And I was trying to talk my wife into it. And so I was like, where can I talk you into going? She's like, somewhere where the ocean is blue and everything is green. I'm like, where? I got it. <laughs> I know where to go. And so we were already like planning on, on moving here one day, you know, one day we'll, I'll finally get her to move. And then the lockdowns happened and we're like, okay, so 
how about as soon as fucking possible? And then mm. the the housing market went insane and our house was suddenly worth a bunch of money, you know, to us anyway. And we were able to switch that out, change it over, head off in this new direction. And it took some time. Like we had maybe 18 months of planning and preparation. And it was just absolutely wild how that all came together in alignment with our magical or spiritual journey as well. So like so far I've been kind of talking about like why, why the jungle, because this isn't the rainforest, right? I didn't, I didn't go to the Amazon. It's much less accessible than the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. <laughs> it's, we had a great airport. There's like nice highways and stuff. Like, yeah, if my parents need to come visit, it's, it's possible. So like there were reasons why I didn't go full jungle, you know, Mowgli and, and, uh, and never come back or whatever. But what we did was sort of this half jungle thing where it's close to just the most gorgeous beaches in the world. It's, it's accessible. We can still, my wife can fly back and see her family. And so some realism in this decision, but it was more or less this dream to go live a more natural life, a simpler life, to be in alignment with nature, to grow our own, to raise our own, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and here, because I'd had this just amazing and magical experience and mind opening experience when I was a kid <clears throat> that fed into what has been a, a journey starting with Gordon White's uh, wealth course, which is really more of like a find your passion course. That's what's so great about it. It's like redefining the idea of wealth is not just try to get money by doing a spell for a dollar under a candle kind of spell, but what does, what do you actually value in life and, and how do you orient your life to go find those things? And so at the time when the pandemic hit and we were, we were faced with kind of restructuring our life, we, we looked at that as that opportunity to, set new goals to figure out what do we want to do? What's better than what we have? We don't love what we have. We're like, we're doing okay. We're successful enough. We got jobs, got a house, all these things, but there's like not the joy that we want out of life. And we find joy in doing these more natural types of things. So how do we, how do we make the, the big jump and, and go do that? And so from the, some of the tech that came out of that and kind of just trying to practice with it for the next say 18 months, it's been probably four or five months doing what I call desire work, which is uh, you know, Venus related devotion and petitioning and journeying and so forth to get an idea of like, what am I, what am I supposed to be when I grow up? Like, what am I here for? And coming out of that was some inspiration, particularly for me, Sarah followed, like she's been working on that as time has gone on. But for me, I, it took me back to some of these things. And so we, we, she's like, you're so unhappy. We have to find some things to do during this lockdown that like make you happy again or whatever. And so we watched these movies I'm gardening at this time and I'm trying to like wrap my brain around this call back to this natural way of living. And I'm, I'm reading like Donna Haraway's books and all this, like not quite anti, probably anti-capitalist, but like not quite anti-modernity, but essentially like what we're doing isn't working and we need to reevaluate it kind of thinking in addition to, I've been a, you know, environmentalist freak forever. And so that all kind of swirled together and watched these two movies again. And I was doing all this desire work and it kind of snapped one day when I was like on mushrooms, sitting in my garden going, talk to me, spirits. What is my life about? <laughs> right? mm -hmm. This thing kind of like came into perspective. It all shifted into focus. And I, I sort of got like I actually heard the auditory words like randomly enough, increase biodiversity. I was like, mm. well, that's very specific. <laughs> I mean, like, heard, OK, but. How? You're like, what does that even mean? How do I do that? What is that? What is that? And of course, that answer took many, many more months of dicking around with magic and journeying and testing things and flying to Mexico a couple of times and finding ourselves, right? Like we, it, 
the, the answer doesn't necessarily come from the experience, but like the inspiration does. And so we had, we chased that thread for a while. And I think that these, these movies, uh, particularly Rewind Gully and seeing the, the magic of when Maggie and then later Krista are just kind of like floating along and flowers and stuff are sprouting up from the ground underneath them as they like float along. I'm like, that's the kind of fucking magic I want to get really good at. That's what I want to do, right? I want to bring that into the world because we need it. Obviously, we're trying to heal all these like ecological problems and we're using very questionable, very technocratic solutions you know, to oppress and restrict rather than to replace the things, the bad habits that we have. We're like, well, you're just not allowed to have habits anymore instead of why don't we find a way to fill everyone's needs in a way that the environment would provide? Because I fundamentally believe, again, back to the biosphere, that everything that we need to exist in this space is in this space, wherever we are on earth, that's all in that space. Maybe not the Sahara desert, because maybe you're not supposed to live there, but every place where there's like trees and ecology and there's a natural cycle and balance between things, we have done a bunch of damage. And so there may not be all of the resources there that there originally were. So there are things nowadays that we do have to ship around the world because there probably isn't the same thing in that location, or we don't know how to access it yet or something like that. But we can move towards the belief, the fundamental understanding that like nature provides. It's a benign universe that we live in. It's not a materialist universe trying to eat us. Like the, the lion for the most part isn't interested in eating you. It's gonna do what it's gonna do and it's not personal and you're doing what you're doing and we've made it personal. Like we have a personal affront with nature. It's scary, it's dangerous to us. We kill all the bugs that come into our house. We use Roundup on the things that wanna grow from the ground. Like literally the weeds that trap the minerals that will eventually one day feed the vegetables that we're trying to grow there that we then have to pump up, you know, tons and tons of fertilizer into and erode and destroy the ocean so that it ruins our pretty beaches. Like these, these things are all connected. And it's all because of this like interventionist mentality where we created a problem because we go back to Ferngully, cut down all the trees, right? Like, well, we had a short-term gain of lumber from that, but like, you know, trees grow, like you can take the branches and pulp the branches and turn them into wood and you don't have to cut down all the trees. There are other ways of being in the world, but we create that problem. And so now we have carbon sequestration problem or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> well, now we have to build, I don't know, big suction machines to suck all the carbon out of the atmosphere and poison the soil with it and, and so on and so on. Got to blot out the sun so that we eliminate the climate, you know, the rise in temperatures that are affecting the climate. It, do we really think that's going to solve the problem? Like if we blot out the sun, there's not going to be some kind of downstream issue from that one. Like that seems pretty obvious. I don't think anyone actually thinks that that's going to do anything good. Like I think that was, a, I feel like we were being trolled. Yeah, but, but like somebody out there is getting paid to come up with a think tank scenario that some asshole 20 years from now might actually take seriously. Like this is how we got weather modification. And someone went, did you know we could? And no one went, shut up, man. Don't do that. Well, That's a dumb idea. Like oh, some someone, ideas are dumb ideas. Someone may have, but they just put him in an unmarked grave. <laughs> yeah, he was put in the basement office because that's so, not the right type of thinking. I'm curious, uh, what uh, if you have any like, like what have your experiences with the land spirits there been like? Like mm. going into a place <laughs> that's different, and and like having uh, now I'm the caretaker, now I'm the resident of I'm going to be of this patch, mm -hmm. right? Um, are there any like specific techniques or uh, methods of contact or like how did you 
was it like a gingerly process or did you just go in and say like hey how's it going like you know i'm, I'm just curious how this yeah no it was it I'm was somewhat that too but uh, but but here it's it's different like the the spirits here are very like fey like and and very mm-hmm. different from even from ohio but not as different as i feel like they would be there you know yeah so we have our own fey right they're called the Alush, and they're very different in the way that they're described uh, in in some ways, but like I actually saw a stone carving image of one on what looked like like an old Mayan or Incan kind of structure, and it looked like like a Keebler elf, like with the hat and the whole thing. I'm like, all right, well, that's that's interesting crossover. You know, there's some there's huh. definitely some similar vibes between them, and they treat the Alush locally, like the you know the the Mayan descendant types of folks locally who still practice these things. They treat them as if they are physically present in the woods. Like when we were having our mushroom ceremony, they're like, oh, the Aloosh protected us last night. Cause like we heard some crazy shit off in the woods and, you know, we like went and shined the flashlight and, and everything kept away uh, because it's the Aloosh. They're keeping, they're keeping them away from us right now. And that's why we put out our offerings and did things. So they're, they're very conscious of it. Every property who knows what they're doing, especially if you're building in the wild places, like has an Aloosh house and they, uh, they tend well, they to have, they have houses. Yeah, very, it's very cool. It's almost like it's not identical, but there's some overlapping pattern for sure. There's a lot of similarities between what I've picked up from like Claude Lecoteau's books on, um, you know, European Phalor and so forth. And, you know, maybe like a different physical description and like slightly different interpretations of it in the same way that like you have similar gods in different places, but some of the little details are a bit different. Like, it's kind of like that. Like, we have a well, fake. Kind of, it reminds yeah, me of, like, uh, like um, Prangang in, in the, Thai, the like, spirit in Thailand and uh, surrounding areas. I think he's actually more of a Cambodian spirit originally. But it, he's, like, a, he's kind of like a land spirit and kind of like an ancient. Like, there's all these different explanations for him, right? Like, all these different yeah. stories that stick to him. Um like one of them is that he's like a Buddha that didn't all the way enlighten because like women just kept finding him in the woods to have sex with him. Like, um, but he's, he, he feels kind of like almost like a goblin or like a Nissa, like we call yeah. in Denmark, they're called Nissa, uh, like the ones with the hats and you, you know, you, we put food in the attic for them once a year on mm-hmm. Christmas, like that kind of, um, but yeah, it's really interesting how the hat thing plays like across. Yeah. Cultures. Like there's always this pointy head thing going on. I love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll, I'll give you like, I'll cut to the middle or the end of the story for a quick anecdote. And then I'll kind of give you the, what's it been like working with them that you're asking me about. But like, so I don't know what it was, maybe like nine months to a year ago or something. Now I'm, we're out on the land. We take a picture of this tree, a sacred tree. I'll, I'll get back to why it's sacred here in a minute, but we were like leaving offerings at this tree all the time. And I took a picture of it from like another view and I posted it like proud of my jungle. Like, oh, it's so beautiful out here or whatever. And Ivy, Ivy Bromius, right from, from Twitter and RSPM, she goes, uh, I don't know if I'm the first person to tell you this or something like that, but like there, there's a face in that tree, you know, like you, you have a, you have a visitor basically. And sure as shit. And I hadn't seen it because you know, I did just sort of like cropped and posted the picture and it was small and I hadn't gone into the detail to look at it because I could look at the real tree. And absolutely, like there is at least one face. And I'm looking at this picture of the, the stone carving on the Mayan structure or whatever I was talking about. I'm like, oh, goddamn, you have the hat and everything. It's like, <laughs> it, you know, and it's just the way that it showed up. And I went back later and looked at the tree. And I don't even kind of see it even just the right light. I'm like, I can see where this was. I hold the picture up and I'm like, I can see where it was. But it did not have that kind of like, hey, hey, you know, like a little creepy bit of extra personality to it 
showing up in the trees and stuff. And they're actually described as like living in the trees and appearing in the trees and so forth. So that, that is another one of those things where you're like, you know, it's, it's weird that it happens like that because I would have just gone for metaphor and, you know, sort of being slow key and spirit. I'm like, no, bitch has a hat and it shows up like <laughs> literally in the trees. It's crazy. I don't know what to do with that. I don't, I don't know quite how to make sense of that one, but so there's, you know, there's definitely a lot of weird that happens. And the further that you get away from, you know, civilization or whatever, the easier it is to tap into that. So I'll, I'll scroll way back now and I'll, I'll give you kind of the, how I started working with the spirits and how we got in conversation with them. And then what it's like when we're here. So kind of where I was going with the long rambling, like how I got to be who I am part of the story was I was in a place where I wanted to do more place-based magic. I just found it sort of fascinating, this idea of talking to place and probably primarily because when I was a kid and I went to Mexico, we were in, on this trip I was talking about, we were in the Tulum ruins, which are cool. You know, there's really cool picturesque kind of thing. And it, there's a cliff that overlooks the Caribbean ocean and or Caribbean sea or however you say that. And, uh, it's just unbelievable vista, right? Like these rocky cliffs and tropical trees hanging out over in this crystal blue water. And so everybody stops and takes a few pictures. And I just have this like weird sort of deja vu feeling vertigo shift and a moment. Like I'm a kid, so I don't really know what it is that I had. Now I would be like, oh, I need to go back and touch that spot a few more times until I figure out what's going on. At the time, it was just like this weird thing that I didn't know what to do with. And I was having a great day. So like we went on and I always remembered this thing. I even did like art above that scene throughout my life and it showed up in dreams and stuff like that. So obviously that like was, was meaningful. <clears throat> so I'm uh, coming back with my wife in 2019 for a, I want to move to Mexico. I want to make you fall in love with it kind of visit. Right. And so we go to the Tulum ruins. Cause I'm like, cause I had this amazing view and I did this when I was a kid and it changed my life. And <laughs> so we, we go and we like walk up to the same place and I like get hit with it again. I'm like, wow, that spot, huh? I mean, I could tell, I could like, you know, you walk up and you have a mental image and you like snap it into place. Like you're holding up a picture or something. And I got that same like wild vertigo shift thing. And I was like, okay, this now I'm a magical creature. I'm, you know, proficient in, in this language of understanding the universe trying to talk to me or, or we'll go I'm more proficient anyway. And so I become obsessed with this idea of Tulum. It's, it's about Tulum. Like I have this connection with Tulum and whatever. So we, we go home and then we're planning and we're starting to try to renovate our house and doing all these things to prepare. And I come back to Mexico, just me to do like a reconnaissance trip. Where are we going to live? What's going to be down the street? What's it going to be like for the dogs? You know, so I just kind of like walk around all these different places that we were thinking about being. And I go spend a bunch of time in Tulum. And while I'm there, I go out on the beach for so like maybe the first night that I'm there <clears throat> and I get the hotel, drop my shit. And I just decide to walk towards the beach because in Tulum, there's basically two roads. There's like the highway that goes through the main part of town. And then there's this thing called Coba Avenue. That's the only route to the beach. And it's hideously long as it turns out. So I walk like three and a half or four kilometers down there. And it's just like a long tunnel that eventually gets to the beach. And I, all of the beaches are closed because this is kind of like the for-profit area. It's not the public area of the beach. I don't know how to get to it yet, but I'm out there and I sneak on to some little hotel that's like shut down for the night or whatever. And they have this great beachfront. I, I bought a bottle of rum and a cigar. And I just go into this like dark corner where there's, I don't know, somebody sleeping in a bungalow back there. And I'm like singing my prayers to Hakate to like cycle pump, connect me to the spirit of Tulum, just th throwing out chill. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I'm just reaching out, you know, 
take a shot, smoke the cigar, pour one out on the sand and be like, all right, talk to me. What do we got? And like right away, no problem. Beginner's luck, right? Like the first time you try to do this shit, it usually works really well. And it did. And it was probably a little bit of how liquored up I was getting in the process and a little bit of like cigar was kind of heavy for me, but I got this like little altered state thing going on and I started getting like visionary interaction. So weird stuff. Like I would see, you know, the Spanish galleon coming in from the Atlantic ocean and landing on the beach essentially. And then it would like cut to a scene of some Tuluminati douchebag who's like partying on the beach in Tulum and then flash to another scene of like, people in Tulum going up to the edge and being like, who the fuck are these white people? And then flash to another scene of like a hotel being built on the beach that doesn't have plumbing or something. Right. And I'm like, Ooh, this is heavy. This is really interesting. I don't know what to make of this. Like, I just wanted to say, hi, I wanted to move here. And it's like foreigners are like, it's, it's a fraught relationship is kind of where I got to. It's like, you know, it wasn't mad. It wasn't giving me bad vibes or anything. It was like, put its arm around me and go, let me, let me tell you about what it's like here in Tulum. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, so as it is like with most of those things, <clears throat> I don't know what to do with it at first. So like I, I scoop up some dirt, I buy some dirt from Tulum. We go back home. I start working with it on the altar. And, and this is kind of the tech that I would recommend like be bold and just, just try shit because for the most part, if you are earnest and you are attempting to connect, it will generally work on some level, probably have a lot of misfires before you, you get it going or whatever. But I also kind of recommend finding a psychopomp because they're, they're good at gluing, you know, you to other types of spirits and so forth. So working with Hecate in my own practice as, as a constant thing, that's, that's just where I go to. So I worked with Hecate to talk to the dirt and I would give offering to the dirt and I would do this remotely on the altar. Like, Hecate, can you connect me to the spirits of the jungle of where I found this, you know, or spirits of Tulum in this case, where I found this dirt. And, you know, like after a while, I would start to get some vibes and so forth. So I kept at it. And then once I felt like I had some kind of a connection, like, I don't know if you practice magic, you know what I mean? If you don't, it's hard to explain, but like that something else was, was there and in presence in that moment. But eventually we got to the point where we could have like tarot conversations. Like I want to do this thing. Is this thing something that you could help me with and get and translate responses and stuff like that. And I found that tarot was a little bit easier for me as a primarily kind of left brain person to work with some form of language that I could interpret. So for complicated questions, I would use tarot for, for kind of like journeying purposes and things to get those rough ideas. I could then ask more specific questions about, I would, I would just, you know, go, get Gnostic and sit in a space and wait until I felt one with the jungle spirits while giving offerings and things like that, <clears throat> but keeping it super simple, just talk to the dirt. That was kind of my strategy. So that developed. And like I said, we had 18 months. So I, I did this for a long time and I, you know, a couple of months into it started getting really good results. And then later it, it kind of plateaued because we weren't in person. So there were only so many types of ways that I could get interaction from the, you know, now like we have a relationship with this Tulum dirt, but it's like, Hey man, I, I, I can't really help you. Like you're a long way, you're a long way from here. Like, get here. And then we'll, we can talk. Right. And so we, we keep the connection going and I'm probably giving like weekly or biweekly offerings, like a glass of milk and some fruit and, you know, candles and incense and whatnot. So we finally get to move here and we start looking for a place to to live, to buy, to, to work with, right? And we are approaching that like we're talking to the dirt on our altar here before we call our real estate agent to be like, connect us to wherever it is we're supposed to go, like leaving it open-ended. And then right away, our, our real estate agent who we got, um, and I think she's, a, she's been specifically a blessing, a part of this 
path, right? It's one of the things that happened for us fortuitously. She's great. She speaks English, super well educated. She taught us all about like organic gardening <laughs> in the tropics and stuff. And she's also like hooks us up immediately with this place that's this little community out in the jungle that's like part of what they call the high jungle. So it's <clears throat> it's got enough dirt that they can grow big trees is what that means. Because all the dirt around here is like six inches deep and then it's just limestone. It's just straight rocks and stuff. So if you want to grow stuff, which is what we want, you know, then you're going to need to be in a place that has some ability to create hummus. And so we went to this high jungle area that's like south of Cancun, north of Playa del Carmen on a little road called the Ruta de Cenotes, the Cenote Highway. That's uh, just a little south of a town called Puerto Morelos, where we live right now. And so we bought some property out on that or, or started the very, very long process of buying that property anyway. And we did so by first going out, like she just took us to the area and showed us one lot. And then took us on this crazy ride to the jungle, beat our car to shit. And they get out and we're like just standing on the side of the road. And they're like, what do you think? I'm like, uh, about what? Like about the hedgerow I'm looking at here? Like, what am I, what are we talking about? Is it this one or is this one? He's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, so we start with just like a crossroads. I'm like, well, okay, then I'll remember where the crossroads is and I'll let you know. And so I, we go out there and we start leaving offerings at this crossroads in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> and it's just a couple of dirt roads. Right. And, and it worked like a charm, man. I mean, there was, we, we walked out and found like, there's this big rock that's flat, kind of like a perfect altar space. There's no houses around. So nobody's creeping on us while we're being all weird and stuff. And, and we just start bringing out like local fruit and food and, you know, whatever it is, we kind of find our way with that. And I go, I ask, I need to find this thing. Help me find this thing. If, if this is the thing that we can do, then give us a sign that you're open to us, you know, continuing on this process and they go journey on it for a while. And, and I, once we had the crossroads, we bought some more dirt. And when I say buy dirt, I mean like leave a couple of silver coins and ask the land, can I, can I have some of this dirt? And then you make sort of an exchange of value and you put the dirt in a bag or jar or whatever. Right. So I take that. We have now a couple of cans of dirt. I got the one from Tulum and I got the one from the crossroads where we start working. And that ends up, you know, this probably takes like 12 weeks or something to find our property. So we, we bounce around and we look at other stuff. We go through all these processes, but it's like every week I'm going out there and I'm speaking to the land as if it's, you know, there and can talk to me. And I can't really tell, like, am I talking to the land? Am I talking to a louche? Am I talking to tree spirits? Like whatever. My experience kind of is that you get a sort of group representation. So like you're speaking to the place and they kind of work it out between themselves, whatever the fuck that means, you know, <clears throat> but you get a, a response that you can have kind of a weird conversation with. And that will show up, or at least for me, it did anyway, in the form of like inspiration during journeys. So things that pop into my head, um, ideas to follow up on, or my personal favorite, which is just things happen in an uncannily fortunate kind of way. So I did a journey to find the property because we couldn't, but we like looked at every property. We looked at every listing and none of them were working for us. And we have this like money burning a hole in our pocket. We want to get started on this project. And so I just go ask the dirt sitting on the floor or whatever. And, um, and I am given this vision of walking down this dirt road that we drive on every time we go out to the jungle. And I like walk a little further down to the end of this road and that's it. And I mean, it's crystal clear. It's hilarious. Cause I, I'm there on it all the time. Now I'm like, that is exactly what this looks like. Good for me. But I'm, uh, we, we go drive it and, and walk up and down it later. And there's like, there's no other signs. There's nothing to tell us what we're doing. So we're like, all right, what the hell was that? So go back to the drawing board. And my wife suggests like, you know, let's do a tarot reading to see if we've missed anything. Is the thing that we're supposed to be finding, like, do we know it? And we just don't know that we have it somewhere. And it turns out that's, that's exactly what happens. We do like, yes, no readings to find out how to figure out where this 
this listing is. And it turns out we've been sent so many freaking listings like we just, you know, forgotten one. It didn't didn't make the cut for whatever reason. And this one was about 200 meters to the west of the road that I walked down to the end. It's like if you walk down to the end and you turn left, that's the road that I just built a couple of weeks ago that goes to our property now. <laughs> and it was inaccessible. Like there was no sign because a whole hectare of jungle lay between us and the one that we bought. And our real estate agents like, what are you nuts? Like we're looking at one right now that has a road on all four sides and its neighbor has a transformer and like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is the one you want to buy. And, and like the spirits are selling us no. So we're like, no, that one, I can't tell you why. Like I can't make any kind of rational reason for why this doesn't work. They're the same price. I want the one that's harder. I want the one that you can't actually reach with a car, please. And so, well, it so sounds to, like by the, the growth that you said is there, like you'll have a transformer in no time. I'm sure like it's, you know what I mean? Like you'll just be set up pretty once it like expands to you or once people move in around you. Yeah. So, I mean, you're kind of, you're calling it, right? So like we finally get access to the property. I have to pay a, a crew to go like cut a path around it so that I know that, you know, I know what it is and where it is and I can walk onto it. So we go out there the first time and we have like a bag of offerings over our shoulder. Like we're going to find a cool place to leave an offering and introduce ourselves to the land maybe apologize for cutting down all these trees that we had to do to <laughs> cut this path through this like impassable jungle. Right. And so we're going out and we're, you know, not even that far down this path. And there just off to the left is this incredible tree. It's enormous. And it has these roots that have come off of it. I posted this on my Twitter a bunch of times and it's on my website and all this kind of stuff. So if anybody's curious, you can find it for sure. But this <coughs> ends up being our sacred tree because we're, we're going out there and we just kind of talk to the jungle, like, tell us where you want to to leave offerings, give us a, a space that we can dedicate to you, to the Alush, right? And so right away, it's like, well, you got this really awesome tree over here. So I walk over there and it's sort of secluded and, and it's in this area where it's, uh, you know, kind of just off the path. So it's not very far away. We can see it, but it's still like mystical looking and cool and secluded. And, um, and it has like its roots form this sort of hard to describe, but they're, they're enormous. They come several feet out of the soil above the ground and form like this back of a chair, like a high back chair thing. And then the bottom of that is a bowl and the bowl is filled with water. And in the water, a bunch of tadpoles that are just starting to like sprout legs and swim around and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there was this kind of like hushed of the wind blowing. And I'm like, this, this is where we're at. There's even like a little open space right in front of the bowl of water that looks like an offering bowl that we can like put down our fruit supplies and, you know, and this is an altar. That's what this is. And so that's the tree that I eventually took a picture of and that had the like face in it and everything. And so we started going to this tree that revealed itself to us, like upon request and we'd leave offerings and we'd ask our questions. And again, I'm mostly just like talking to myself. I'm just talking to the jungle because I don't really know who it is that's listening. But what I have come to appreciate is that is not particularly important from, from those like chaos magic rules. You can generate sustainable, reproducible results by practicing this pattern of being open and receptive. And so if you give before you ask for something, that is a big part of it, like creating that reciprocity. Um, I've, I've done some, some writing, some work on this idea of the spiritual gift, which is basically this idea that if you pray it forward, you know, that if you generate reciprocity, that the universe uh, feels like it owes you back. Like that's how we generate magical power and potency is by preloading the things that we do with devotion and effort and so forth. <clears throat> it's merit. 
would be, yeah, merit would be what, what Rev would say. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, in building into that, right? Like, well, how do you, if you want to, to become a custodian of land, treat yourself like a guest, right? Like if you were to walk onto someone else's land and want to be like, I really want to live here and take care of this for you. Like, what would you have to do to talk them out of something that they currently own? Like, that's the perspective. And kind of flipping back to the Fern Gully for a second, because it does actually tie back in the perspectivism in that movie and a bit in Medicine Man, but certainly in any kind of like time that you spend deeply Fairly in nature where you're, it, there's not that convenience or safety net around you. What you learn very quickly is that like yours is not the only perspective and all perspectives are valid. And when you treat them as valid, like, you know, Eduardo Cohn and in, in his book talking about how forests think, whether you're talking to the, the peccary, the pig, or you're talking to the tree, or you're talking to the genus Loki, the spirit masters, whatever the, that are themselves stewards and guardians of this place. Like, if you were to approach them like like you do, like a person would, treating them with full personhood, I mean, you would probably start with a gift, right? Like if you're new to the neighborhood and you want to make a good impression, that's what you do. You start with a gift. So that logic carried me very far. And the, fuck it, I'll just be weird and talk to the forest thing carried me even further, right? And, and buying the dirt and working with the cycle pump and all the little things, those are all really good techniques. But like, I'm pretty sure if you just wandered out there, because we have some friends in the jungle now and they're they're not like formal magicians, but there are a couple of weird old witch ladies and they just do whatever they do. They didn't read a book about it or anything. They just kind of like wander out and talk to the mushrooms and stuff. And it seems to work for them. They have all kinds of fun out there, but you know, it's not so much the technique as it is, as you would say, like sort of the intention and the earnestness that it comes from the place where it comes from, because you're not really speaking in English. Right. Like, I think in, intuitive flow uh, yeah. states like that is a technique. I think it just gets undervalued or under, mm -hmm um under categorized as a technique like like it doesn't seem to be recognized as such like the, oh you're a little bit more uh just kind of by the seat of your pants it's like right that often gets looked at as like a little bit less than by the people that are really book heavy um yeah well because they really want to justify that all that time right, yeah, <laughs> right. All, that, all that money on books that's right um you know, just does it you know <laughs> you know it, it it strikes me that um like for anyone who's like hearing this and, and doesn't hasn't even dipped their toe in any of this stuff, it's like the largest barrier, like 99% of the barrier to engaging with, with magic, the spirits, anything is just like that idea of feeling stupid. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to be willing to get over, like you just have to feel stupid for a little bit until the reaction happens. Yeah. I and then, yeah, and then once it does, uh, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, once right. you got the proof, right? Yeah. I mean, I felt a little ridiculous talking to the dirt for, you know, a year or more yeah. before I had, like, <laughs> yeah, really course. clear evidence. But, you know, yeah. I'll give it a quick little additional story on the end of it. So you're talking about, like, the Transformer and, and when other people move in. So, like, we, we buy this thing that's at the very edge of this area of the jungle that they're calling a little town or whatever. You know, it's not. There's no there's no, there's no power, nothing yet. Well, I go out there one day to leave offerings and I, I see like this big white sunny patch open up in the jungle on the other side. I'm like, what the hell? Like there's a hole in my jungle now. I look back there and there's a road. Somebody built a road on the backside of my property. So I go across the, like you do, I'm like across the road and I meet the neighbors. And I, it took me a while to actually meet the guys who own the place because 
they own it and they have workers doing some stuff and they're like in and out or whatever. So we, we didn't cross paths initially, but I met the guys that are doing work on the thing. And I had like just come from talking to my tree about like, help me meet some people out here, help me learn what I need to know. And right. And I'm like, go meet a bunch of dudes who like don't speak a lick of fucking English and they barely speak Spanish. I mean, like they're more or less Mayan, like OG Mayan. Right. And I mean, none of them are like, I'm, I'm out there looking like an amateur beekeeper. I got my pants tucked into my socks. I got long sleeves and every, you know, everything because the bugs are real out there. Right. And they, they're shirtless, shoesless, digging up rocks with their hands and digging in, you know, piles of brush and something. And I'm asking them in my terrible Spanish and they're answering me and their terrible Spanish best we can with pointing and grunting and so forth. Like, <laughs> you know, how do you, how, how do you remain safe out here? How do you do this? Cause they're telling me that like my, oh, my machete's all fucked up. You bought the wrong kind and you're using it all wrong. And you know, use it like this. Why do you know? And, uh, and I'm asking them, like, what do you do about, like, not getting bit by snakes and stuff? You know, por serpentes. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's, it's not being, uh, con cuidado, con cuidado, just with caution, man. Just, uh, just do it, but, like, you know, cautiously. <laughs> so, so you're like, yeah, just, you know, stick your hand. It's like, they go cut off a forked stick. And, and that's it. Like, that's their super high-tech solution for problems is like, I'll just use a stick and I'll flip that over before I touch it. You know, like, give it a good look. And uh, <laughs> coin cuidado, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, oh, okay. Now that, uh, that probably works. They, <laughs> this guy built a cenote with his hands. Like he's in there like digging out, lifting it, packing this like bucket full of these big ass limestone rocks and like heaving it out of this cenote they're digging open. Come back six months later, it's it's like the size of a swimming pool. And they've, yeah, they had a machine for some part of it, but like they've just been at this. It's like two guys have been building out this, what's now going to be this big campsite thing, <clears throat> half private, half like uh, rentable. And so I'm learning all of this stuff because one day I'm going to have to do this stuff. Right. And like the first quote that I got on the road that I just built, so I, I built 200 meters of what's essentially like a dirt road. It's like this limestone dust that they lay down on top of the ground to make a road. that's like hard pack. And so I did about 200 meters of that, like hired a guy to take a backhoe through the jungle, you know, no, no permit required <laughs> and just kind of cut a road where the road's supposed to go. And so we, we have that experience and learning all of this, like, on the ground and seeing how simple it is and how like other people do it. I would have never had the opportunity to get that because the quote that I had the first time was like over 10 grand, you know, I got it done for about 3,500 bucks because my Mexican neighbor kind of wants the road too. And so he just, you know, he, he speaks enough English and I speak enough Spanish that we managed to work it out between us. He calls this guy. I get the local guy price. This dude's awesome. Awesome. It's just one guy, one guy and 11 trucks full of Saskab as they call it this like dirt stuff. And, and there we go. Now we get a road and he's working it out with the Ajito bros. So you know, it's a little weird when me is that has to go like, find out who to talk to. And it's like, you know, it's Alejandro. It's over there. He just, what, you don't know him, you know, like, I don't even speak your language, man. This is hard work for me. I got to figure out, it's talking to these like Mayan dudes where you like bring out your phone. You're like, let me use the translator real quick. Like, no, that's, that's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So I've got my neighbor like being the glue between their culture and what we need to, you know, participate with them and the locals and us and these workers and so forth. And he's just a guy. He's a guy who's now my friend. You know, we just invested into his campsite business. We're just a couple of, couple of dudes, but I found him or rather he found me after I had gone asking for building relationships in the jungle. And that's just like, go out to the tree, put some, some fruit and like eggs that time out and say a couple of prayers. And it's like, 
okay, I'll just uh, go about my business and see what happens. And like right away, either within that day, within a couple of hours, or, you know, it's in the couple of days that follow these things, they just become available in ways that could have been excruciatingly painful. Like ask me about opening my bank account, for example, I didn't get any tree spirit help with that one. And that has been a four month long epic journey, <laughs> but you know, like building a road is done in four days just because like everything magically came together. And that's been my experience. We, when you build a relationship with the land spirits and in distinct as they may be, it's like, man, just put out the plate with the milk and cookies. Like it's worth it. It's worth it. Good things will happen. Like don't overcomplicate it. You want to talk to the jungle, talk to the jungle. You want to just put out the cookies, go for it. Like they appreciate whatever patronage you got because nobody really pays attention to them anymore. So mm-hmm. a little bit goes a really long way. And I will add the required, the requisite caution that they are capricious characters. <laughs> so treat them as a guest with respect, like the respect that they are due. They they will fuck with you a little bit. I got hazed when I was first going out there in a couple of different interesting ways. Nothing too bad, but like, and I got some gnarly bug bites and I had some run-ins with like biting flies and stuff while I was trying to mark the bounds. So there's, don't expect that like you come in and they're like, hi, Whitey, welcome to the neighborhood. Like, I felt like I was brought here 20 years in the running. Like, you know, I've had these dreams, these visions. I talked to the dirt and Dallas and set up this whole thing and I get out here and, and I still get attacked by biting flies. Like it's not necessarily as straightforward as, uh, you know, here you are and you're welcome, but it's more like, I feel like this place made a call, particularly to people who have a desire and a, and a fate, if you will, to, to increase biodiversity. Like I was saying earlier, like this is a place that needs it. Like there are plenty of places that have all kinds of great biodiversity and don't necessarily need someone like me to come in and selectively, Rediversify the jungle, but like this place actually does. It has a history of being damaged and very much needs to be reinvigorated, but not in that conservationist Sierra Club kind of way, but in the way that's going to study milpa farming and understand what species actually do well here and not put things in boxes, but build a fucking food forest instead and cultivate the jungle, which is what this place originally was. It was a cultivated jungle for tens of thousands of years under the Mayans. I am not mine. I'm not trying to appropriate, but I did volunteer for this, like the jungle needs volunteers like you kind of program where I'm attracted to this place. And then, then I had to go make my way with the local spirits. And those were two different things. Right. And I've, I found that I'm going to try to segue back into Fern Gully awkwardly here, but I found that those like inklings of perspectivism that I had because of things like that because of my journey into the jungle as a kid with my dad, because uh, various magical experiences I had in my garden a couple of years ago, running up to this. And definitely from, from that movie in the way back, like there's a way that everything fits together. And that doesn't mean that things aren't going to eat each other and that they're not going to be difficult or that there aren't competing um, priorities, right? Like the birds and the squirrels have competing priorities. You can hear them arguing about it on a pretty regular basis, actually. Like those things exist in the same nature that supports and is benign and loving. And like all of that is equally true. Like it is competitive and collaborative at the same time. And it's based on people's persons, rather self-actualizing, squirrel persons, self-actualizing, human people, self-actualizing, tree people, self-actualizing, the whatever people (laughs) doing what they do. Right. And when we stack all of these perspectives together, like we can't necessarily understand what it's like, or be good custodians. If we are looking at that purely from a human anthropocentric viewpoint Mm -hmm. and 
that's my loose tie back into Fern Gully here is like, it doesn't look, it doesn't work right. If you don't go through, you know, your baddie phase and, and get acculturated to, to living in the woods, right? Like it's not the same thing. And when you make choices to live in wild places, you have to make choices to, to re-haunt the place where you live, to allow that personhood. Like we're moving there because we want to live with spirits and nature and animals and so forth. And so, well, I mean, I can't just like build my house wherever I want, however I want, it's gonna affect those things. I have to find a way to do that in alignment with nature. And that has been a fascinating journey with lots of trial and error, <laughs> lots of experimentation and you know, sometimes getting great vibes from the spirits and sometimes not getting great vibes from the spirits and having to like stop and reassess and being in a state of right relationship is, is not a in or out. It's like, I am attempting to be moving towards right relationship more than I was previously. And not every day is equal, right? There's some, your mileage may vary. And there's some things that are just really hard to do. It's really hard to construct a house in right relationship, particularly with the modern ways that we go about doing these things. Like it creates vast damage and disturbs the ecosystem and so forth. It's not building a hut in the middle of the jungle. There was a lot less karma involved in that transaction. But my wife wants flushing toilets. And I, I find that to be a very reasonable thing to require from me if I'm asking her to move into the jungle with me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, keeping that in right relationship where it's like, okay, well, how do I have a septic system in right relationship with the environment? How do I repair the damage? How do I pay back the life debt? How do I appreciate the life and death cycles that I'm causing, you know, um, disruption to. And that has been awesome as, as an experience. Like that's my job now, basically. Cause I don't, I don't earn a lot of money in any other, I don't do a lot to earn money. Basically I'm just trying to build this house and to do so while learning how to like be a human in nature, not separate from nature. Right. So yay for Ferngully for giving me the initial inspiration to think that like, no, it's possible. It's not easy. Like we don't live right. So we can't just snap into place. Um, Zach, the character, right? Like he didn't fit. Even by the time he was leaving, he's like, I definitely don't belong here, but I love this place. I'll come back sometimes. Right. And so if you want to move from that to like, no, man, I want the fairies to like, never let me leave. If that's what you're going for, and maybe I'm the only one, but if that's what you want, then you have to shift a lot more of your perspective than just like, I'm going to ask before I clip the flower, you know, like, yeah, you got to do that for sure. But it's a bit bigger than that when you're trying to do something in a wild place that's this invasive. Yeah. He, it like, he had to literally change or accidentally he changed shot sizes. Right. Like he had to, he had to become it's, the same, the same scope as yeah. them to even begin to, to integrate with them. And like, in a sense, that's what you're you're gonna have to do if you want to. Yeah. You want to. You you, you got to figure out how to do that spell on yourself to then right. fit in. Yeah, and it's probably not going to be as simple as when uh, uh, a cute fairy girlfriend. No, I think my wife yeah. would have a problem with that one. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it's probably not like it's perspectivism. But like the easy one to communicate in a movie is like size, right? Because how yeah. is he going to talk to them or whatever? But you know that they're they're. I'm not going to call them non-physical entities. I'm not going to go there. I have no idea, really. They show up in trees. They rustle the bushes. You build houses for them. It's not that simple, but you don't have to understand. You don't have to directly engage. It's not like you get to talk to a burning bush. You like leave a little present and sneak away without looking back. And like that works. That works really, really well. And trying to prove anything to yourself makes it not work. So if you, if you approach it from a, 
I don't have to shrink to the fairy size in order to see with fairy eyes kind of a thing. You know, like for me, that's what sleeping out in the jungle is about. I was like, oh, I need to be able to identify with this as something who has lived here. Like really, like not just in a bed out here in the, with my air conditioner running, but I got to earn that right. I got to go sleep in the actual jungle or how are they going to respect me? You know, like what yeah. was it? Um, Eliphas Levy, when he was talking about how to align with the nature spirits, the elementals. It's like, if you want to align with the spirits of storm and rain or whatever, you have to like do something terrifying that you might get like struck by lightning. And that way you prove to them like Jesus, you know, talking to the storm in the boat or whatever. It's like, be still. And, and that, that's what gives you power over them. So it's like, if, if you can't live up to their expectations of you, how could you expect to have the right to tell them what to do? You know, I was like, Oh, that's tough. Because I still got to sleep outside where the bugs are. <laughs> you know, you got to you got to adjust for that. There's, uh, I think there's a way into like if you're already in good with the land spirits, then like consider asking them to help you uh, get yes. to know the darkness there. Yeah. Like, like there's something about I've I've had a couple experiences where it was like the darkness ended up welcoming me, and yeah. I was out at night and tripping balls and, um. <laughs> suddenly it was like becoming like now i am the scary thing in the night uh, yeah that moment completely like everything flipped around and i felt like the night version of ferngully where it was like i could hear people in the distance on their porches coughing yeah. and i was just like like growling and just like go away right. you know, like, <laughs> there's, um, there's something to that and i think at that point you you kind of sink deeper and I, I really uh I didn't belong on the land like I wasn't going to stay on that land but like yeah. I really want that to happen somewhere where I feel you yeah, know, like yeah, yeah where you have you know you're gonna stay like um I don't know I think I'll I, I, we might stay here the rest of our lives but it's not wild enough for me like I you can search forever and maybe never find the hedge line here like it's yeah. that, it's that like densely yeah. Well, it's it's funny you're saying that because that, that's the other thing that you, I think, as a human, you get to offer is that like I can voice this stuff in a way that nothing else mm. in this place can. Like mm. that's a whole other aspect to it. Like, oh, yeah. like yeah. Um, and I've I've kind of gotten evidence to that that that's that's what. Well, a lot of times that's what spirits of place enjoy about humans is that that we can do things they can't. And yeah, like if absolutely. and if you and if you offer that if you offer that in a way for like I'm 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 open for you to use my my abilities to do that for your benefit. I, I yeah. that also seems like it's like a very uh it's a very good way to to weave yourself into that cycle. Yeah, indeed. I, I think that's spot on and Sort of similar to that, we'll go with co-creative, co-collaborative instead of like channeling is what kind of what that sounded like. But when yeah. we when we struck our deal with the land spirits, like I made an actual contract. It's kind of funny. It was like one of those high school, like, will you or won't you things like check the box. <laughs> did you do the like, did you do the, yeah. did you do the, like... <laughs> the little hand thing? Yeah. yeah. So I wrote out like what we were offering and what we wanted so that it was very clear. And then I, you know, folded that up and I stuck it in the jar of dirt and I did some, you know, ritual around the presentation of that or whatever. But I, I signed, like my wife and I signed our little names in the box or whatever. And obviously I haven't opened it to see if they signed or anything like that, but uh, you just kind of, <laughs> you know, leave it be. <laughs> some mycelium growing on it. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. That would be really cool. Um, but it's just a written name, George. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even an X would like blow my mind. Like old X or something would really rock my world. But um, you know what? What we found is that like things fell into place immediately thereafter. Like everything started to flow and, and move more quickly and so forth. And so that's that's the yes that you're that you're really looking for. Um, but the exchange was like the things that I offered were you know custodianship in terms of resources, money, and care and time and so forth that we're going to devote to this and devote these years of our life to this. It's going to be our home, and so we talked about that kind of stuff. And we also talked about not making any permanent or major decisions without seeking the spirit's uh, influence, like without it being a co-creative kind of event. And I think that was, that was like an inspired edition that I had as I was writing up the contract and, you know, we, we know where that comes from. Right. So I think and I, I've just had negotiations, to... like they're like, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there's a bit of a loophole. I mean, like, fair enough. All right, fine. I'll pencil that one in. No problem. We'll get a little amendment here to the contract and we'll sign again. So so that's in the contract and theirs is to provide sanctuary and protection and guidance through this process because I don't know everything, right? And so I, I want their feedback. I want them to show me what's going on. And so that's been the deal the whole time. <clears throat> so things that we've done coming off of that are like, I wanted to go look for where I could start clearing out like little trees and brush and stuff, not the big stuff, but where the house might go. So I could kind of get a feel for like, all right, where are we going to put this thing? Where's this, where, where's, where's us to the driveway? Where's the road? Where's the house at on the property? And so I went to the tree and did an offering and specifically, and I, I tend to ask for like one thing at a time so that there's you know total clarity or fidelity or whatever. But what I got was, you know, like do the offering and then go wander around and that works really, really well. I've done a number of those, like, show me something cool. And then I'll just wander around until I find something really, really, really cool. But we, we found this place that was kind of like leveled out and there weren't as many big trees right where we would need to build. Cause one, I don't want to cut them down. And two, it's frowned upon to cut down trees of certain sizes. And so they really want you to build around them or you have to pay a bunch of money to cut them down and, and do some of the things. And so we found this place that was kind of like perfect for building the house. And it was on the northeast end of the, or northwest end of the property, kind of close to where the road already was. And so logistically it made sense. And, you know, like physically the space of it made sense and everything. And that's, that's where we're, we're going to be building the house now is something that I found just by like wandering around until I had that cool feeling. And, and I don't remember if there was something like specific that I saw, cause this was a long time ago, but it, it felt right. You know? I had another one where I was trying to find the center of the property and there's all these like downed trees and stuff that are kind of in the area of the center. And so it was kind of hard. I kept going in circles and ending up, you know, not where I was trying to get. And then, and I'd, I'd prayed, it was like, help me find or petition or whatever you call it. Now help me find the center of the property. Cause I kind of want to see if I can build like a fire pit right in the middle of the property. And there, and as I'm walking around and I'm like, are you fucking with me? Like every time I get close to the center, I end up getting lost again. And it totally was. And then this little like beautiful red butterfly flies like right by me, right as I'm mouthing off to the jungle. Like, what are you dicking around with me for? I'm trying to do this thing. And it flies right by and I follow it along and it like weaves through this path in between these down trees until I'm getting to pretty much, I'm sure, at the center of the property. And then like flutters off, like does a couple of circles and moves off. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thanks. Appreciate that. You know, that's kind of shit happens constantly and it's subtle. So if you aren't, if you're questioning whether or not, like, was that magical? Was that a real magical thing? Like, you're not, you're not going to pick up on it. You've, you've yeah. got to be in that receptive state. But if you don't mind going out and talking to a tree root for, you know, you know, 45 minutes at a time before you then go get lost in your own jungle, 
I, I tell you, man, that works really, really well. And it's just like prompt and response, you know, do something that shows that you are giving and that you're, you're genuine and then ask for some kind of a favor and go see what happens. And the, what happens will not take very long in my experience. That's happened dozens of times. Really important point you made about uh, like one petition at a time. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a really good general rule, unless it's like a, a bigger, more like more life guidance, life coach sort of spirit. Like those, it's different because they work with you in several ways at a time. But like if it's someone you're asking for a favor and it's like that kind of I scratch your back, you scratch your mind. It's just a bad idea to interrupt the process. Like you're going to you're gonna yeah. fuck yourself up, like picking up on the results and the answers and all that stuff. Um, totally. It also reminded me with the, um, I remember uh, Kyron Armand one time, I think it was in one of his classes, was talking about how once you get in good with the land spirits, like every once in a while, something really amazing and unexpected happens. Like he was saying how he, he was having a shit time and like, he just felt this like field rise up out of the ground and like coat him and cleanse mm. him. And it just like told him like, like, yeah, no, this we're helping you out. Like, cause you're, you remember us. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, that's so cool. I hope someday that happens to me. And it was like a week after that, that the fucking, I, I, I had like the same kind of just cloudy sort of not a good day. And I couldn't like shake it. Um, this was maybe like two and a half, three years ago. And a, and a butterfly came and circled me three times, like went around me three times and all of this like cloudy shit just lifted. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, but if I hadn't yeah. done my prayers that morning and been in that state of mind already, I right. probably would have noticed that that was the moment that it occurred. And I actually could feel it like just lift right off and yeah. clear my perception. That's um, awesome. I'm, uh, I'm curious and this may be, this may happen inadvertently. How much of like the, the like fruit and stuff that you're offering is actually fruit that you hope to grow on that property? That's a great question because like from a pattern-based thinking, you want as much as possible to, to manifest the future, to you use everything in an offering as a metaphor for what you're trying to achieve. So that's a really good point. I mean, I, I get what is available, but like the local fruitarias have the stuff that grows pretty easily around here so like that's pretty easy to do i don't go leaving pears right yeah papaya and guava and and they like guava apparently like i asked what do you want most i'm like guava like yeah it's actually great so totally i understand (laughs) like when it's in season it's amazing you know mangoes stuff like that and so all of those things are things that we want to grow on the property and um i have started taking out like hard-boiled eggs and things like that yeah and uh, right away and probably just because it was an egg but it was also kind of a magical moment so like the last time that i did that i bring out three hard-boiled eggs and and leave them with the fruit that i'm leaving as an offering and this really cool local it's like a blue gray silver fox just like comes out like right in the middle of i'm i'm shaking my rattle and doing my opening and i turn around i'm like there's a fox maybe like 20 feet away and i'm I'm in this weird moment where I'm like, just kind of continuing to do what I'm doing. So I I would have normally stopped and been quiet and been like, Oh, look at you. Right. But I wasn't, I was wrapped up in it. And so I didn't stop. And so I shook the rattle and it kind of like spooked and ran like a few steps away and then just chilled and watched me for another minute until I was done with my opening. And then it like, you know, walked around the long thing. And I was like, yeah, it probably wants the eggs that I just put out here. Like that's, who's going to come eat these eggs. But at the same time, like, was that a trickster spirit? So I get mm. home and my, my wife 
says the most brilliant thing. I'm like, oh, I should have seen this originally. This is so right on. So we've just been talking about chickens. Like we're, we're in this place where our resilience planning is based around chickens and goats basically, right? And so we can't have them now, but as soon as we can get out there and be out there on a regular basis, we want chickens and talking about how we build our chicken coop and all this stuff on the regular now, watching YouTube videos for like, you know, homesteaders and stuff. And we see the fox as I'm leaving the eggs and she's like, oh, it's trying to tell you like, hey, you need to be aware that I'm here hmm. and that you have to, you have to protect your chickens because I am one of the things, I've never seen this thing before. I've been out, yeah. going out there for a year and a half. I've never seen this fox before, right? And I'm like trying to be quiet and see animals and stuff. And there's still stuff that I haven't met yet. So I, I think that that's really, really interesting that like, it's not because I wouldn't ask even, right? That's like, yeah. this is just the thing. This is in flow. This is the thing that needs to happen right now. And it's, it's the time for you to engage with the spirit. And so now I know a lot more. I've looked him up. He's, he's, he's real. It wasn't a, a fantasy or something. He's a, he's one of the indigenous species, but like, it's just crazy. Cause it's the middle of the day. It's hot as balls here. And there's this Fox, like a furry ass Fox. And he's, you know, just hanging out in the woods. So I had no idea that he was even like you know, indigenous to the area. Cause they're so crafty, but I'm huh. guessing that he's been snacking on my offerings for quite a while. He's about the right size to live like in the tree or around the tree or something. Mm-hmm. So this is just, you know, whether that's actually a, a trickster spirit or it's just a fox, like, I don't think it's either or, right? Like, yes, it's a fox. Yeah. It's clearly just a fox. But in the same breath or whatever, it's like in that moment was that representative of some kind of spirit message. And that's typically how I kind of translate it. It's like it's both things at the same time. Yeah. When I was in Dallas, we didn't have cool foxes and stuff like that. It's pretty limited what we got. But I was working with Hakati and I got crows all the time. I don't have any crows here, so I don't, I don't get my Corvid friends anymore but I, I would get crows like there were five or six of them that right after i do a ritual or something or i would be like about to make some really epically bad decision and the crows would like descend on the backyard and squawk around so loud i'd be like what the fuck is going on i go out there and there's like six crows dead eyeing you in the backyard like <laughs> don't do that <laughs> and so i had all these like are these just birds i mean like whatever we have a bird seeder i don't know why they're in the backyard are they just birds or is this like a, is, are these birds talking to me so I had enough of these examples where I found out because like you, you do a tarot reading and they're like, yeah, they're talking to you. Yes, they're also just birds. Like it's just how it works. It will show up in some, it's the, it's what's available right now. It's like divination via the universe or whatever. This is just the universe that's available to you. So of course it's talking to you. Whatever it's your like, perspective of the universe is, is always talking to you. It's like in Princess Mononoke, like the big forest spirit. It's, it's composed of all the other spirits. Right. You know, like it moves as both one big network, even though everything has its own agency. It's like the way that that all turns together as everyone is making their decisions. But, it, yeah. you know, if you follow it down from the sovereignty, it's like it, it goes from these pinpoints of consciousness and it like like anthills down, slopes down into being like one plane of we all agree we like this place. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Uh, so there's like this common ground where they're like, they all become one thing when it's time to protect, Uh, but, but when it's time to feed or it's time for their individual, uh, you know, I I kind of think of it that way, like mountain peaks of consciousness. No, I like that. And I think that that's, that's true. Even in non-extreme situations, like as I have been going into the same woods, the same way for a year and a half now, like the, the shift and how the jungle feels about me. Sometimes it's, you know, a couple of days later, sometimes a couple of weeks later, just depends on what's going on in, in my life. Right. Uh, I mean, it like rains for three weeks at a time. So I don't particularly go walking through there 
in the rain, you know, for three weeks. But so I'll like go occasionally sometimes and just like give offerings on the altar in the meantime. But while I'm there, like it still recognizes me. Crazy story. And my wife hates this one. So first couple of times we go out there, we both get just eaten alive absolutely by these, they call them no see because like you literally can't see whatever is eating you. Uh, and it's kind of like chiggers, but they're worse and they burn and they're like bites last forever. And it looks like you have a disease, like some kind of chicken pox head to toe, only in the most sensitive of places, right? So these, these things are gnarly. So first couple of times you go out, get eaten alive, both of us. She kind of stops going because it's really, really unpleasant, but I'm like going <laughs> to figure this out. The guys next door, like they don't have this problem. I'm just doing this wrong. Something, whatever. <laughs> this is hazing, you know? And so I, I go and I make offerings and I do regular stuff and, and eventually it stops. And it was like, it kind of petered off. It was like less bites and less bites. And now I don't get anything, right? Like I go out there and I go out there now looking like Tarzan wearing like a loincloth. I wear as little as possible because they like the places where you have like tight clothing and stuff. So I'm, I'm shirtless and shorts, sandals half the time, looking like the guys across the way. My wife goes there to give offering with me or whatever, comes back with, I shit you not, like 50 to 100 bites. We're there for like 10 minutes. <laughs> And they're brutal, like brutal. You go to the beach and she looks like she's, you know, got an adult case of chicken pox or something. And I'm suggesting like, well, I don't know why they're, they're not, you know, extending the same courtesy to you. Maybe we should do offerings for you or may, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like, all I know is. I just be time. Yeah, I think there's time. I mean, there's definitely like this idea. There's, there's the physical aspect of it. Like there's certain kinds of insects that you just kind of like you can get eaten, but you don't any longer notice it. Um, these have quite a reputation though. And they're, they're different. It's like they're worse in different seasons and stuff, but still I go out there, get zero new people go out there eaten up, right. right. All across the board. Yeah. And, and I feel like think you can tangle with the place over time, yeah. you know, like after a while you drop back down, like they see that you drop down to that level of I'm part of this protecting as well. Yeah. We all agree on these things. It's like a militia, right? Like everybody has their yeah. own. But then when it's time to do some shit, everybody comes together. Even if you don't like your neighbor, you're going to serve. Right. right. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, but and you become that. And then yeah, if she just like hung out there for a few weeks, even if she was like under a mosquito net the whole time, right. it would probably be fine after that. Yes. You know? Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, Tyson Young Caporta talks about like actually some very actionable specific tech in his book, Sand Talk, where he talks about... Um, going out in like on, you know, a walkabout or whatever, going out into nature. And if it's a place that you've never been, like it's polite to, you know, take some sweat and wipe it on a rock or like take a whiz out in the woods or something and like introduce some of your DNA because the environment is tasting you. And like, you think it's gross, but I mean, it gets sweat and pissed on, like, as a matter of course, that's just the chemical exchange of how nature works. Right. Something so, I was kind of like alerted to ask, ask where is best to pee. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because uh, they're like, <laughs> I'm reading, and you know, in the Thai stuff, it's like people get cursed like minorly by land spirits all the fucking time because they piss in the wrong spot. It's <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like headaches or like yeah. uh, you know back aches or whatever. And they think like whatever, but it's actually no. You're you've got a spirit just like pissed at you, like napping, knocking on your head, <laughs> like until you say you're sorry. <laughs> yeah, and. That's awesome. So th this brings me back to just give them cookies, man. Everybody likes cookies. Cookies will buy you a lot of forgiveness. If you are regular with your offerings and your intentions for like, as you say, that sort of like genuine mutual stewardship um, are much nicer than your people are for the most part. <laughs>
I really like I, I found them to be very supportive. And I remember like there's such a stigma around like, oh, I don't fuck with fairies because fairies are, you know, capricious. Like, yeah, yeah, they are. Absolutely. I have been the butt of some of their jokes a couple of times. I find it more funny now than I did at the time. We've, we've had some time in between the two, you know, but um, other than that, I mean, like I was not long-term hurt. They didn't steal me off, leave my car keys 20 miles away. You know, it was, it was tame in the, in the course of fey consequences. Like you were probably being an asshole if that happened to you. Like, you know, I mean, you wander into nature and you act a fool, like you might get lost. That might be what happens to you. Maybe you get snake bit if you're a real asshole, but if you're chill, like I've never had any problems out there not any kind of serious problems. And I have had plenty of times where I was like, whoa, I'm glad I didn't do that. Okay, thanks universe for keeping me from whacking my machete into my leg or grabbing that vine that's a snake or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. There's plenty of opportunity to get hurt, but like, it's it's all about the alignment. Like, yeah, if the Jaguar knows that you're one of the people who's allowed to be here, it's much less likely that you're gonna get snacked on unless you are somehow violating the flow that's going on in the place. If If you act like you're supposed to be there, you know, in this case, it's not a clipboard, right? Again, it's not what, what what works in the city doesn't work in the jungle. You can't just walk around with a clipboard telling people what to do and have it snap to attention. That's what that's how people work in the jungle. You know, the best way to make friends, and this is magically and so-called mundanely, bring food, right? Feed feed the locals. Everybody I likes think that. that. Is actually how people how humans are supposed to work. Either I think I think that's yeah, true. Just like broken, you know, yeah. by design. Uh, but yeah, like humans should be. You should be getting humans' attentions with food and with song and dance and not (laughs) politics or fucking merchandise. Yeah. Yeah, but that works. I mean, like, and I would say probably music does too. I've certainly seen those like videos of wild animals like being drawn to people who go like play in the park or whatever. Like I haven't personally had that experience because my singing is terrible. But the uh you know what ways you can contribute so with mine it's going to be like we're, we're growing we, we eat mostly meat you know we eat meat and a little bit of vegetables and a lot of fruit and stuff so we're gonna have lots and lots and lots of fruit trees because i've always heard that the problem with having fruit trees is you have a couple of fruit trees and the monkeys come and eat all your fruit and i'm like sounds like you need more fruit trees sounds like you need more biodiversity like there's an answer to this problem i think i'm just gonna plant a bunch of shit that i couldn't possibly ever get to and or the monkeys couldn't either you know if you yeah, get like, more money, that'll plant more trees. Like line the entire borders of the property with just thick fruit trees that are their favorites. So they just stop and don't come deeper in. That's literally one of the plans. Because <laughs> we, have, we have like this ridiculous amount of frontage space. And there's, you know, like growing inside the jungle is a little bit more difficult. You got to cut down trees to make space for it. But there's like, you know, paths and roads and sunlight coming in from the borders. I have something like 400 meters of know uninterrupted grow space on the outside of this property so fuck yeah (laughs) yeah it's gonna be be a lot of fruit trees fruit trees and like we we have a kind of a love for sunflowers so we're going to do some invasive planting we're going to plant a a shit ton of sunflowers and okra which will do really 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 well here but aren't going to like they're not going to become a kudzu or anything but they they will love the the growing conditions and bring us a, a ton of joy and we get to bring a little piece of like that's what we grew in our garden back home. So like we're bringing in a little bit of our culture to mix in with the biodiversity culture that's already here. And it'll either work or it won't, right? Like if nature doesn't want the sunflowers and the okra to do well here, it's not going to work. So I don't Mm -hmm. think that it's up to me. I'm making a suggestion and the foreman is going to decide like, oh, that's a stupid idea. Or yeah, yeah, go ahead. Have your, have your sunflower garden. That's lovely. Good for you. You know, there's, there's going to be some co-creative back and forth with the 
with the land and doing these things as it's going to be with everything that we do. That's been my deal with them. And that's been something I've been reminded of pretty recently. I actually just did a, a podcast episode on that whole idea of like, what is, what is it to be an ambassador for spirit as Gordon refers to it. And I, and I love that framing because like it's, it's bi-directional, right? Like you're being an ambassador on behalf of humans to spirit and you're being an ambassador on behalf of uh, spirit to humans. And I'm standing in the way more as a facilitator and it's a diplomatic relationship, right? It's not like, what do I want to do? It's, well, my wife really wants us flushing toilets. So what kind of compromises do I have to make in order to make that in right relationship with the other inhabitants of this land? Like, what do we need to do to make everyone happy? And I'm just happy getting to play in the woods. So like everyone is happy, but there is this constant like balancing act, like right relationship isn't an, a point that you arrive at. It's this striving for, it's like being a good person or something. Like you're not, you're not reach it. You just kind of practice a state of trying to always be more in it, in right relationship. And um, it's so much more visceral and real and, and easy for that reason to accomplish when you're in a wild place than when you're in a concrete jungle. A real jungle has its advantages when you're doing nature worshiping mm -hmm. <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one thing. Uh, like, I, I love Denmark, but man, like I said, it is the wild. Like, even even the big patches of woods that I've been to, they're they're very clean. Like trees fall and they come get them and they chop them up and they use the firewood and uh, it's it feels more like a park usually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, I'm sure there are places, but um, like I just don't know where they are. The ones that I can actually go out into and like maybe stay the night where no one else is going to show up. But <clears throat> that's that's hard to find these days. And it's not like those places don't exist. I mean, Mexico, for example, is a ginormous country yeah. and there's lots of it that's super wild. But getting there is, is a thing and being safe, not even like from people, but just driving there and getting back, you know, safely is is a challenge. And so we, this is kind of what I was alluding to. And I was like having my moment in the jungle, my feral moment, right? It's like, this is a totally safe way to be reminded that this is something that we should value, that there is something missing from our existence that we're so separate from this, that we like, it occurred to me that somebody had to keep the fire going because that's what was keeping the animals away. Like that was it for a long time, just part of how life worked. But like, I've never had to be on fire duty to make sure that nobody ate my family or whatever. And I don't super want to go back to that, but there is something experiencing being rhythm when we separate ourselves from reality by putting ourselves in you know concrete box houses and so forth there's obvious convenience to that it makes it so that we can have civilization and so forth and, and there's some advantages to that but what we lose is this like feral realness and the more that we separate ourselves we take it all the way to the extremes of you know blasting off into space and living in capsules and eating supplements and you know like when we get far enough away from the raw humanity of it realizing that like humans are just animals like we're, we're smart animals we think right maybe not even the smartest animal but we think we're, we're all real smart but we we have some interesting capabilities but we're still animals right like the meat suit still rules that's the end of the day that's at the end of the day kind of only what we are while we're in this existence and beyond that like it's whatever the other experience is but we don't get to experience that experience while we're here here we're part of a body, we're part of a world, we're a living, intelligent spirit in a body. And that being in a body is, we almost don't value it because of like that, I guess, 
natural science thinking, you know, like where a lot of our magic comes from is, is from something that's been passed through the lens of Christianity and passed through the lens of civilization is better. And we're climbing up out of the chaos of nature and trying to refine ourselves in this sort of neoplatonic ascent of humanity thing. <clears throat> and I just don't think that's it. I think that's like, you can work a system like that. You can make that system work. But I don't think that that is the ultimate message of what people are, is like trying to escape the Gnostic reality or ascend to some transcendental better than this holier than life experience. I think, great, then you just fucking reincarnate all over again, right? That's what happens is you just kind of, you end up back in the wheel and then you have this brief moment of nirvana or whatever, and then you're back in the fucking wheel again. So like the core of the experience is actually in the physicality. It's in the integration with what we call nature, but what we mean is just life, right? Like to be alive and to not have all those barriers between us and life is a very refreshing and rewarding experience that if you've not done it in a while or you've never really done it before, it's intimidating, but it's intimidating in the way that like spirit communication is intimidating when you've never, I mean, you've done it. You just don't know that you've done it, right? The first time that you have a truly magical, like, holy shit, there's no explanation physically for how that happened for me. That's just fucking magic. First time that happens, it's it's big. It's like a reality shifting thing. And I mean, like, not the ones you're like, I think I made something happen, but what you're like, holy shit, there's no way that I could have done that. That was uncanny beyond recognition. The first time that happens to you, you either go like, oh my God, I have such power. And you run off into the, you know, join the OTO or whatever, or you, uh, have like that kind of humbling realization that fuck the world is haunted and full of deities and things that are so much bigger than me. And I have this privilege to access this thing. And it's, it's kind of a scary responsibility. And I think when we move ourselves into true alignment with nature, it's like true direct relationship with nature. What we are afraid of is how much fucking bigger than us it really is. But you, you push through that. And what you see is it's, holding you like a net right like the biosphere is holding all of these species up in this perfect balance that if we don't fuck with it continues to work in perfect balance and most of our problems come from the interventions that we do trying to make it better with big scary air quotes around it like that actually isn't necessarily making it better it's probably damaging us it's pushing us further and further away from nature and some sure some away from nature means that we can you know i have a laptop that works and i can podcast and stuff and i like those things I mean, this but is i think the behavioral this- thing too like um like we energetically create uh create patternings and like like structures in in our energy bodies and in our and in our and in our ways and habits um through this interventionism of um rather than relaxing like down yeah, totally. to the root of what's happening and like treating it with compassion and and like an openness mm-hmm. um we tend to try and like force ourselves to change our behaviors uh, yeah. because that's that's how we're you know raised and trained in, in school and yeah. whatnot but, like uh it's the same sort of shit like we just do it on all these different levels all the time um it's something that i've always tried i i'm able to put my finger on it more because i've been listening to a lot of monks talk about dharma but like um yeah uh, um i also i wanted to say i really really love that you used oto <laughs> it's like oh my i'm a god i guess i should probably drink my own cum <laughs> i mean it's if you go down that path i just want everyone to know like that's where it leads 
make your choices wisely. <laughs> I mean, you you don't have to join in order to do that either. Like, you can... <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's always only fans, but uh, you know, I think you you are faced with these choices of whether or not you want to take yourself very seriously, or if you realize that I am diffuse and there's nothing very serious about me to take anyway. And I've, I've, it, it took me a really long time, but I've leaned into that version of it. And I find exactly what you're saying and healing works in the same way. Like you can't heal by trying harder. <laughs> it definitely doesn't work right. You, and I say this as someone who's undergoing a healing journey, but also somebody who's like a regular shamanic healer, you know, there's, there's no doing it harder. There's only like trying to get them to relax into allowing the thing to happen because you're not doing it. Like so much of this doesn't make sense. So much of the world doesn't make sense in that materialist or even like hybrid semi-materialist view where, where it's like, oh, it's, it's inside my head. These are psychological archetypes that I'm accessing as part of a collective unconscious. And you go, just fucking say it, spirits, man. It makes it work so much better. Reaching to my choir here, like so <laughs> hard. Like I, uh, it really bothers me. Like I actually, I think I dislike people that 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 turns spirits into their own psyche yeah more than i dislike, more than i dislike materialists and atheists That's an interesting like, line yeah i get that um, though like i get it if you just don't think any of it's fucking real but if right. you've had those experiences and you you have to actually work at it to be like it's all me it's all just right. it's all just collective it's just consciousness it's like bitch then why do you have to give it certain foods or right. <laughs> like <laughs> exactly yeah so why do i have to build a physical house for the aloosh then yeah right yeah like because because you do because there's not a simple answer because to, ufos to are both material and immaterial i mean it's it's both it's everything to me that that it, it's often people who who come into like who go deep into so psychology or something uh or philosophy and they they end up going bumping into something that they're like oh there's a little bit more and they're like oh well i really want to be part of this bigger conversation but i don't want to have to go scum or scary yeah, yeah. <laughs> i will say one of my favorite things to do as a shamanic practitioner is to to break the semi-materialist people because I've, I've never, and I, I take no credit on this whatsoever, but the, the Four Winds Institute teaches some real tech, like it's real shit. Um, I, I can more reliably produce healing magical results doing what they've trained me to do than I can do with any of my cool lunar mansion shit or anything else that I've ever learned how to do in, man, in magic. Like I can't necessarily get that to work better than 70% of the time, which is actually pretty good, you know, but every time someone gets on my table, whether that's physically there or it's over zoom or whatever, like every time they get healing. Cause it's nothing to do with me. I'm just like a conduit for the thing happening or whatever, but you can see. it's fascinating to observe. Right. Cause I'm like kind of hanging out while this thing I'm sort of participating in that's sort of happening through me is going on. And that's a weird experience in itself. Right. But like you are present and you're, you're not like bored, but you're not doing anything consciously. You're not like projecting your consciousness into it. If anything, you're trying not to. So it's like, well, this is interesting. Like what's happening right now? Like, so does this mean that when I doing this, that there's some kind of like physical reality that I'm interacting with, but I'm doing it, you know, over zoom. So how's that even a thing? And these are the conversations I'm like trying to push down as I'm like, focus, focus and pray. And you know, I'm, like, I'm having these conversations with myself because it's fucking amazing. But what you get from the person on the table, which I mean, it's just the spookiest shit I've ever seen. Like I'll be engaging with 
my imaginal projection of what I interpret the physical representation of their issue to be like someone has a headache that won't go away. And so I, you know, find the, the knife stuck in their head or the steak or whatever it is. Like it, it's something obviously metaphorical and they look like you pissed in the wrong spot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I see this all the time, actually, but, <laughs> but I will engage with this like clearly imaginal thing. And I swear that I've done this, you know, hundreds of times now, and it doesn't matter if I like pull it out and like yank on it, or if I like break it up with my rattle and blow it away, or it doesn't really matter what I do. Like whatever metaphor works for me works for breaking the thing up and making it go away. But when I do it, they'll jump on the table and be like, ow, something hurts over my left eye. I'm like with my knee up against their imaginary and energy body, like, no shit, really? That's fascinating. And, uh, <laughs> If you have two different types of people who come to shamanic practitioners, you have people who like are woo and totally get it. Like most magic people aren't even woo enough for this experience. Like I offer free sessions all the time and people are like, yeah, thanks. No, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, I don't want to touch my energy field or whatever. And then you have like the woo people who are really into it. And they're like, oh yeah, I just had an Akashic reading and I, you know, had this and this and this. So you, you work your stuff on me. So they are fully receptive and open to it. Right. And then you have the like post-materialists, which are my favorite. Because like my thing is post-muggalism, so it's like recovering from being a muggle or whatever, right? Like entering into this enchanted world from a, from a post-materialist point of view. And I, I had, I won't say too much about it so she can't figure out I'm talking about her, but she's a lovely person who I know from the internet who tried a sermonic session because I was given, I had like a bunch of free ones. And they're not of this type. They have a, they have a very collegiate academic type of job. And they're very serious people, but they're magically adjacent. And so they're kind of curious, obviously, like on a personal level, they're very curious, but like professionally, oh, couldn't talk about these kind of things. <laughs> so I've got her on the, the table and we're just like, we're doing like a, a typical chakra clearing or whatever. And she's like, I don't, I don't know if, if, if you know what I'm talking about, or if this sounds crazy, but I can see colors right now and I can feel different things moving through my feet. Is this normal? Is this, should I be feeling this? I'm like, this is totally normal. Like this isn't what literally everyone who comes here goes through, but I'm happy that you are having your first magical experience right now. <laughs> and I mean, just went on and on. And I had to be like, Take a couple of deep breaths to bring yourself back into a state of calm, tranquil awareness. You know? <laughs> She's like beside herself with like, people aren't going to believe when I tell them. It's like, <laughs> someone just trying to describe a psychedelic experience. She's like, it's, it's like there's truth and color mixing together. And I'm like, right on. <laughs> I, think, I think I would hate having to hear that. <laughs> I know. Like, well, see, I, oh I think. Oh my God! Shut up! I know. <laughs> no, I think. I think. I think my problem would be. I would. My inclination would be immediately like, "No, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that is the crazy shit I've ever heard. No one ever says this. What? <laughs> Something was <laughs> No one has ever talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> colors. You know, oh I, no, that's bad. We got to get you out. Of <laughs> <laughs> no, not the colors. Not the colors. Not again. <laughs> I've lost too many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, I looked at my job as more like removing trauma. So I guess in the moment I missed that quality opportunity to, to cause some. <laughs> to cause more trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, just to mix things up. I try. <laughs> you know, you got to treat yourself. <laughs> 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 
No, I love what you're saying about like, like how difficult it is in those moments to just like, because you want to be like, holy shit, this is cool. And just watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. totally get it. Um, yeah. What's It's funny because that, that whole, what we're talking about, that's the collective version of like, I don't want to feel stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. It, it's that at the, like, it, I, like half of materialism is just like, I don't want to feel stupid. Everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Like, yeah. And um, also I don't want to feel not in control. Like, yeah. I think it's the same reason that like, like, um, you know, people in authority don't want people that aren't in authority to believe in spirits because right. then there is a, then there is an intelligence that can see more than the person who wants you to believe that they're who you're to look to. Like it's completely antithetical to the power structures that we currently have in the world. Um, I, I think I bring this up every episode now, but when Reed Wildermuth was on the show, yeah. like the, the whole shit about like the guy coming up with the, the nation state concept of the nation state as a direct like way to combat the existential threat of witchcraft was like that yeah. blew my lid open. <laughs> he said some really interesting stuff in that episode. Um, I, I really, really got off on that and totally agree with the like Enochian angels are not necessarily the happy, fluffy angels that want good things for earth and the human race, but maybe look a little bit more like ultra terrestrials with opinions, you know, like I think that I could have said Nokia that. Angels that are like, I think they're just like, they're, they're like the composite archetype, like, but they're modular in this weird mm. I don't trust them. I don't think they're they should right. actually be called angels. I don't I, I think that probably after I, I mean the only thing that I ever use or trust from that system at all, I use the language. Like I, I like using the Enochian language to make um mm. chants uh mm -hmm. for empowering things. Um because I've basically been told that I should. Like <laughs> is uh like I was pretty skeptical because I'm like, well, it comes from this current, right? Um, yeah. And I get where like all that hesitation comes from. But also something we didn't really get to touch on that much on the show is like um, we were we were thinking about like if you're outside of time, like maybe the sickness that's in the world needs to be accelerated so that it can get better before a certain point in the time. Like we can't see yeah. shit from down here, so it always right. it always makes me think like perhaps it is for the sal the eventual salvation of everything that it's like, no, the fever has to get hot enough so that it like the body, the, the whole earth comes together and destroys the uh, intruder. Yeah. That's definitely something that I, I sit with pretty regularly because I mean, I'm obviously concerned about resilience and being resilient in this time and maintaining freedom and liberty is, is like what we've made our whole freaking life about, you know, that and like falling into right relationship and all of that. But and we very much started from a, I don't like where this is going and I'm going to run from. And then we moved to a run to once we did our desire work and figured out how that was going to work, you know, but the run from was kind of like hegemony, you know, I mean, I, I've been pissed off at this insane world for most of my life and just felt like I had to exist with it. I had to deal with it. And even for most of my magical career, I'm like, it's always weird to me to pray to the archons. I mean, like they're good sometimes and they're not good sometimes. And it very much depends on what's happening in the world, what's happening in the sky. And like sky gods are fraught. Like the relationships that we have with them are predominantly beneficial to the sky gods. 
I mean, and like the Greeks would totally have agreed with me here. Like you pray to them because they rule things, not because they're nice to you. Like you want them to be nice to you. You try to get them to show you their favor, but like that takes effort. The, the default state is they fuck with you. That's what the gods do is they like do dramas and stuff and you're just a pawn in the, in the thing. <clears throat> okay, so cosmically that serves, you know, whatever purpose it does in, in the great order of things. But like from the practical chaos magician's point of view of like, yeah, yeah, but I'm just trying to like live and fulfill my purpose and shit. Like some things are good for me. Some things are not good for me. And I want to align with the ones that help me achieve said purpose, right? I mostly come at this conversation from that. Like when I see, I have this thing that I haven't heard too many other people talk about, but I think it's very true. When you work predominantly with the sky gods, like all of our astro friends or astro magical friends and so forth, like they all end up being pretty fucking high strung. And I think that's because like the dramas of the sky gods are the ones that drive humanity to do the crazy things. It's what drives you to ambition. It drives you to love, unacquainted love. It drives you to, you know, hatred and wanting to compete with people. You want victory, you want love and glamour and sex and power and whatever. And then you flip over to like natural magic and it's like grow and heal and nourish and coexist. And it's like you I'm coming from an astromagical background, right? Like that's, that's where I grew up in magic. <clears throat> and I'm looking at all these things that I've used to make my life better. And I'm like, yes, I did. I did use that to make my life better. I got a better job. I made more money. I hated that fucking job. <laughs> I, it made my tummy hurt all the time. And then I had to go to nature magic and quit that job and quit doing that. Not like wholeheartedly quit doing that kind of magic, but to stop looking for every single opportunity to throw a spell at Jupiter. Cause I'm like, I got a lot of shit going on. I don't actually need my life to be any more expansive right now. I feel out of balance. And that's a thing I have not seen a lot of astro magicians take stock with. It's like you are aligning your energy with whatever it is that you are attuning yourself to when you were doing a ritual. And like, particularly for my Saturn friends out there, like, you need a good wash after that one, man. It is not the most earth friendly, I mean, you get like earth energy from it, but it's, it's the decay cycle. It is the closure of things. It is the limiting of things. If you dig in with Saturn all the time, you either end up like, you know, the Medici's or you end up like a gloomy Gus who only sees the limitation in the universe. And you have to step out of that and remediate with some other sky God or goddess in order to solve that or, or, go do some walking in nature and ground yourself and say hi to Pachamama and like watch how that balances itself out because there's, and this is like Kundalini vibes, but there is definitely something to the energy from above and the energy from below and how you were supposed to like mix. We are a confluence of both sky and earth and, and underworld, right? Like, but all of those things are flowing through our tree of life sort of metaphor, right? And when we are all up in the stars as magicians have a tendency to be because well, that's what the Kings would pay very well for. Like if we look to the Picatrix, my favorite joke about the Picatrix is like, they sure did besiege a lot of cities. Like, God damn, if that's not the single most effective use of the Picatrix magic is for like besieging cities and causing <laughs> devastation. I'm like, what is the practical application? How much now given it's Mesopotamia, like frequently, they did that pretty frequently, but like, is that what magic is? You know, you look in the PGM, it's like bind them so that their body parts won't work. I'm like, how fucking often did you have a need to do that? I've done that like never. Can't we, um, I don't know, make your life better, grow stuff. You know, there's some, there's some good, like no harm done kind of magic that you find in those things, but there well, there's, to be there's something to that too, though. Like what's happening now is something like that. There is some kind of 
altruism yeah. sneaking in for some people that maybe we don't see as often in these like we see healing and things but um you know i don't see a like it's <laughs> mostly theurgy seems to be represented in like uh really like wizard tower type magic you know yeah. and it, and, it, and oh. even then it's like talked about like it feels like you're in a doctor's office um <laughs> the way that it's talked it doesn't feel like like healing to me feels like you have to get dirty to get clean yeah. like you have to like get your feet your fingernails dirty and like um but it's interesting i i think i'm yes you definitely i agree with the like you have to have both influences and and i think that balancing them is really important and i, I think that is something that people just kind of overlook like mm -hmm. wait am i only fucking with earth or only fucking with sky and like you need you need to fuck with both uh and that's the that's the Taoist way yeah yeah and something about like being out in in the jungle like the dramas of the planets are still playing out all around you it's just not happening in the annoying shit ways that you're used yeah. to so it becomes like a reframing of like what this plant like what what planets are strongly running through this plant and how is that plant expressing those things at these different mm -hmm. cycles here and like slowly you're gonna start to see those like dramas playing out in all these yeah. and, and all the, the 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 jungle city creatures yeah, yeah i love that um no, that's, that's it's interesting true. too with with angels because like they're sky stuff but they're also like in the fabric of all of i think i feel like angels in general are almost categorically structurally integral to existence <laughs> which means that they're kind of in the planets, they're kind of in the earth, they're in everything, the plants, the animals. So there's there's like this, um, it kind of just depends on where you go with them because you can go to angels and get earth energy and you can go to angels yeah. and get sky energy. And I think that's that's interesting that there's this classification. The only thing that ever makes sense to me to like definitively say about what angels are is they're spirits that have made some kind of commitment to being to taking a custodial role mm. um and that's like the only thing that i feel like i can for sure say about like what that designation or that word means um that is very interesting there's there's something i wrestle with with astrology which is like i feel like the more you pay attention to it the more effect it has on you yeah in a weird way well it's uh, like if you're working with the spirit and you're like thinking about them a lot that is working with them Right, like mm -hmm. you're, you're sitting with them, and so, so if you're if you've got a debilitated Mars and you're thinking about it all the time, like yeah, it's it's like I'm I was like a lot of my life I didn't I barely knew the intricacies of it, and so it's only been in the recent years, and I'm like, am I actually getting a lot out of this? Because I feel like if I just ignored it, as long as I said the the daily prayers or whatever, like I wasn't listening to people talk about and making predictions and everything, like. What have you better off <laughs> just not caring about this? I, I think in a lot of like anxiety inducing kind of ways, you probably would be. I what I do, like Sarah, my wife, she'll listen to the the weekly forecast and stuff, but I generally don't care because like the answer is always, I'm feeling away. Well, it's because the moon is, yeah, I know, of course, yeah. it's where the, fuck the moon is like, of course it is. That's what every time the moon constantly is moving, I'm constantly moving in and out of different moods and stuff. That's what she does. <clears throat> but um well, I'll, I'll put my podcast for a second. Like the episodes that I'm working on right now of like Pluto moving into Aquarius, like that's fucking huge. And 
we're going to feel it, you know? So like it, it matters a little bit of what scope you're talking about from a practical standpoint. Like, yes, the moon is tracking all of the things you're feeling and be like, yeah, but I feel different things and then I get over it and it's not a really big deal. I work with the moon obsessively as a lens to the greater magical universe or whatever. Like, obviously she's very important, but every time that she bumps up against somebody else or has an aspect or something, like, I don't need to know that in order to navigate my life. I just like live. And yes, those things are expressing without my assistance into my life all the time. Mm-hmm. I look at it like clock hands, like that's just telling you what time it is. Like the timeline is the timeline, but this just tells you what time it is. And that means that you can, when you want to, you can look forward and predict things. doesn't mean that there is a value in predicting everything that you might look forward or my, my own personal pet peeve is like the astro nerds. They're like, oh, I was walking my dog down the street and, and this thing happened. It must mean that like, this is when Neptune was on the ascendant of my, I'm like, who fucking cares? Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> I, I, I cannot I, do anything with that. <clears throat> I think it's really funny. Like, um, you know, if you take the concept of like your, your biggest challenges are your biggest teachers and your, your demons are your like your gurus in a way like you 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 have the hardest lessons and the most important ones to learn from the greatest challenges so like if if the planets are kicking the shit out of you emotionally and you're having a hard time like maybe that's a call to start like working with your emotions like the same way that you sit and meditate and watch your, your thoughts float by and realize i'm not my thoughts you can do that with feelings too it's just that people really enjoy identifying with their feelings yeah. that's so what that, that's mostly what astrology is it's like it's sort of that pop astrology take it's like oh tell me about me and why i'm special and interesting yes yes and, yeah like there's not that much predictive value in that honestly the one that i like to do is so I like for my, my own life, my, my nodes, as they have been moving in and out of the different uh, signs for the eclipses have been remarkably foretelling, like they presage these massive changes that are going on in my, my life and my personality. And <clears throat> they were fucking with me because I couldn't figure out why they were working the way that they did. And then at just the right moment in my life, like you do, like I figured out what the nodes are for, what they, you know, sort of karmically incline, <clears throat> how they're karmically inclined and what they teach you. And from that, I realized that I was like not living wrong, but like I was, you know, pissing up a rope. I was going the wrong direction. I was doing things that were count- counter to my fate. And since shifting out of that, which was immediately followed. So it was like I had the eclipse, the south node happening, the south node eclipse happening in my second house, which was really fun for my career. And then in discovering that like this was just not going to work, you know, my north node is somewhere else. The south node is this industrious thing, like I'm, I'm good at, but it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. My North node's over in uh, cancer <clears throat> and it's in either the eighth or ninth house, depending on if it's Placidus or whole sign or whatever. And it's like, well, it's either digging through the underworld stuff. It's like digging through the unknown and the transformative things, or it's, you know, uh, travel and spirituality. I'm like, well, either of those things make a lot more sense seeing where I am now. I'm a fucking shaman in the jungle. I'm not, you know, a manager of a, a marketing agency back in Dallas. And so when I was living in my South node, uh, in the second house, like I was living in some prior life, something I knew how to do that I was technically good at, but I, I wasn't supposed to be doing. And when I then decided to let all that go, the South node moved into my first house and I completely changed my personality and how I like present and what I'm spending my time doing. And then it moved into my 12th house right as I entered into my shaman training. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been, you know, like 
that is a hell of a clock. That is really saying yeah. an interesting story. That's telling an interesting story about my life. And so that, like those kind of big changes, because like the eclipses happen every six months. And so I was getting slapped by the eclipses. I was like literally fired from a job that I was doing amazing at because, <clears throat> because probably I'm a hard guy to work with. But I had made this guy a crazy amount of money, crazy amount of money and done exactly what he wanted. And I had come to him with an ultimatum, like, you got to stop abusing these employees in this way, or I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, find somewhere else to be. And so he said, no, no, we'll do whatever. And then I come back from vacation. And on that day, it's uh, July 2nd of 2019, if I got that right. And it was um, the eclipse at the fucking hour and minute that I'm sitting in this guy's office. And he like called me in to tell me, no, this isn't going to work after all. Like, oh shit! <laughs> I let you think that when you went on vacation, when you come back, I just like, fire you on the, on the, you know, July 4th or whatever. And it happened like at the exact moment of the eclipse, which is really all I could think about. Cause I walked out, I was like, that was during the goddamn eclipse. And I started like, Rahu. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, like, yeah, a lot of the times it's just what's happening. And like, I already know what's happening because I'm, I'm living through it. But when you are just like, I don't get it. What the fuck? Like, look at your chart at that time. And it has some value to you. And look, if you're doing what I'm doing, if you're trying to figure out, like, are we going to leave in 2019 or 2020? Are we going to leave in 2021? Are we going to sell the house for a bunch of money? Are we going to, we're going to get to do any of these things? Check that node. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we'll check the node. And then like, so here's a perfect example, right? Like Jupiter has been in my fourth house in Pisces, massage rising. And so it's, it's been there for all Jupiter and Pisces. And that's when we were like dreaming and planning on the house and Saturn has just moved into Pisces right as we get to sign the title and get the final paperwork so we can send in for the permits. And like, that's just too fucking on point to, you know, that's, <laughs> that's real. That's not just like, I'm looking at the sky and seeing myself and I'm like, no, man, that's crazy. That's super on point. So if you're doing some big project shit in your life, there is actually some real value in plotting your course according to the stars. But what I find absolutely no value in is being like, do I feel something today because of them? Yes. Yes. You do. <laughs> Every day. Uh, Every day. Single day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't even know how to, I wouldn't know how to like check up on node shit at all. The only thing I know is that my, uh, my North node, I was born with it smack dab on Algol. And I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty sure that's why I had to spend a decade as a drug addict. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's, um, I mean, like you've got some like self-destructive. Like, First house. Voracious, oh yeah, voracious appetite. I de defining oneself as a voracious appetite for self-destruction, maybe something like that, or at least destruction and um, terror. <clears throat> that's some, <clears throat> yeah. Well, you have like your 12th house crap right in your first house. That's fine. I recently read uh, Robert Svoboda talking about Vimalananda um, uh, and uh, Agora in general, like the, the kind of like extreme tantrism that's like anything except coming closer to reality is insanity. So then mm. you look insane to everyone else because usually right. you end up in the woods like eating fire. Right. Um, <laughs> that's right. But uh, <laughs> I just I just cried like I was just weeping like my eyes were just watering to reading the whole thing and I was just like okay I come from this current like I I come from this this is where I I don't I must have chosen uh to come to the west because I was like oh it'll be really fucked up they have cracked 
Like <laughs> they have crack and all these distractions. And like, if you can come just to the brink of self-destruction and come all the way back, think of the, the, all that, uh, Shakti and merit you'll get. And like, I, <laughs> yeah, it's just such an extremist. Like I, I, I read that and I'm like, Oh, it just all makes sense now. Why, so why do I, why am I like this? <laughs> It's really interesting how you find those things and like it's you know halfway through or later than halfway through in your life when you actually start making sense to yourself <clears throat> thinking back to like how do you get from fern gully to being a you know a, a marketing dude and a programmer for 20 something years and then you know you go back to your roots like i ran away from my parents like little mini farm because i didn't want i didn't want to be what they were you know i wanted to rebel i wanted to go away and now i'm like working on a homestead in a tropical place and like they laugh at me, obviously, because, you know, apple in the tree and so forth. But it's it's not like it's replicating their story. It's coming into a full realization of my story, which is like I, I had to know these things. Like I never forgot how to grow things. I'm, I'm excellent. I got a great green thumb because I grew up in that environment. Um, I knew how to compost when I was like seven. And I am now fascinated with compost. Like that's of all the things in the world that you can be good at, like the world may need people who are soil reclaimers more than it needs anything else. You know, like that's that's a real contribution to be able to give back. And so the one big difference is I always felt like I needed to feel actualized by leaving some kind of a legacy that made sense to people, you know, write a book, build a building, whatever. And for the record, I, I definitely want to write a fucking book, but building a building isn't so much the thing. I mean, my house, whatever, but like, you know, I don't need a Trump tower. I don't, I don't need something named after me or, or something like that. But when I heard about this guy that like replanted an entire forest, took it from a barren wherever it was and replanted, you know, a million tree forest over 30 years. And it's now like changed the weather in the area and made life more livable for the people nearby. That's a like, photographer, ah, that's a right? Fucking legacy. That's what? <clears throat> that's a photographer, right? That um, I think, is it in Brazil or... There's a couple of different ones as I've I've followed. Go ahead. No, I think I know the story you're talking about. It's like, because it, it, the land he bought was like completely deforested and everything. And then like, and then uh, he just, part of it was like planning, but also part of it was just leaving it alone. Right. And, and yeah. And like the water, waterways came back, like, Yes. creeks flowed through and it yeah, was like completely exactly. it was basically barren before and yeah yeah i, I think 90 percent of the time doing nothing is yes <laughs> right uh the 10 percent is what really fucking counts and you got to get that 10 percent right and the other 90 percent, you just like just just don't just restrain yourself <laughs> yeah and then you know i've been learning that lesson my whole life in weird ways because gardening very much will teach you that over and over and over again like don't don't touch it like you don't know what it you don't know what it's doing. If you don't know what it's doing, like keep watching until you figure it out, and then maybe maybe you can help. <clears throat> but when I was a kid, like in my teenagers anyway, I was into bonsai, the little Japanese trees. And it's super hard thing to travel around the country with. So like I, I could not keep this this habit up. It was unsustainable. But I was really into it for a couple of years. And there was a guy local locally who had a like amazing bonsai garden and all this stuff. And I kind of like was an intern with him for a while. But you know, he had 300 trees that were like oh all 75 to 400 years old. It was just amazing. And um, it was great because like, you know, when you're 14 or whatever, like you got to do something all the time. Like there's no chill. There's no way to be chill. If you're a young white male, 14 years old in the United States, like all you know how to do is be on sugar. 
And so like one, it's the super sinful environment <clears throat> where you just become chill by osmosis. Right. But also it, it taught you like these trees are 400 years old. Like you be very careful when you clip them, Nathan, that's what he told me. Like, you mm -hmm. don't, you don't cut them too much. Like less is more. Don't get too excited. All we're trying to do is help them. Like it'll let you know, you, you just have to ask it what it needs you to do. And I, I had some mixed results. He was such a trusting individual. <laughs> it was very uh, bold of him to give me such free reign of his place, but I didn't kill any of his trees. It was actually, it was a really excellent learning opportunity about what patience is like. Cause like bonsai is, you know, decades of time and you might touch the thing. Like you water it constantly. You like you baby it, you make sure it's not dying or anything, but you don't do a lot of fucking with it. You, you really don't. And it's, it's just about maintaining this balance for a really, really long time at a disadvantage. Cause that's what bonsai is like. There's very little roots, very little trees, very little nutrients and so forth. So it's like right on a razor's edge of life and death all the time. And you're supporting it. Like it's a nurturing thing. It's, it's very feminine rather than masculine in its nature. Um, and so I'm glad I had that because I don't get to still do bonsai now. I mean, maybe when I have a house, that's going to stay in one place for a couple decades or something, it would be worth doing, but just as like learning how you grow things. It's actually like learning how to take care of an entire tree in this tiny unsurvivable environment. So you have to become very aware of how trees work. Right. So it's like that's really so interesting. Cool. I've never heard anyone talk about bonsai like that. that that's really now I'm like, I'm probably going to go into a three hour rabbit hole. <laughs> Oh. Well, they're, they're, they're fascinating too, because you're, you're working off a, if you're, if you're coming at it like a couple of years in, you're working off a decision that was made way before you ever got there. Yeah. And it's just you making sure that that decision travels through time. Mm, okay. Yeah. Like that's kind of what it, you know, it actually, what it reminds me of is like when they would, uh, when they would build Gothic cathedrals in Europe, that was a multi-generational project. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so you were working on something that you would outlive you. Like you wouldn't see it finished. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know how often that's just not the way people think in right. the modern era. Like it's you're, you're, you're getting projects aren't open-ended. You, you get them done. And then that's, that's it. You can move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, like a, it's just for the payout. Like that's all anything right. is done for, you know, there's not legacy anymore. Um, it's been almost three hours. I think we should probably call it. If do you want to promote your things? I'll, we'll put everything in the show notes anyway, but if you want to. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just make it really simple. So my, my online handle or whatever is post muggleism. And, and that's a tongue in cheek joke about like used to be a normie and I, I found magic and I, my goal is to make it easy for people to, to make that transition, to find themselves in a more enchanted world as they, as they learn that that's a possibility. Right. So that's what I'm trying to accomplish. And so I have a, a website that's the easiest place to find everything. It's postmuggalism.com. And on it has everything that I do, but that includes, you know, blog posts and articles that I write and, and videos that I produce that are sometimes are one-off. And I have a various couple of series, like my lunar mansion election guides that I do every month, which are designed to be like an introduction into how to do lunar mansion magic with all the explanations of the lore and stuff and, and actionable <laughs> and, and actionable. Right. And, and I do the magic, not every election, every month, but I definitely work lunar mansion magic and I'm, I'm sharing some of like my real experiences in that and, and learning along the way. That's like why I started this is so that I could figure out the fucking crazy system that is lunar mansion. Um, and the other thing that I'm like really focused on right now is other than the building of the house, the sanctuary building project in the jungle is the podcast, the post-Mughalism podcast, which is weekly for right now. I've been able to keep it up so far. Um, we talk about 
essentially magic in the postmodern age, like how to thrive and decline, how to grow in the cracks of society and how to re-enchant your experience of the world so that you can fill it with joy and fulfillment rather than, you know, the, the cold, dark nothingness of materialism that we're all trying to escape from. Word, word, well summed up too. Thanks, um, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks so much for coming, man. It's been great. Like we've we've known each other for a long time now and like seen each other on video calls at the same time, but I don't think we've ever actually like talked. So it's just been really cool to hang out. Yeah, same. And and likewise, Kurt, like I haven't had as many shared video calls with you that I've known <laughs> that I've been aware of, but uh, this has been a, a really awesome conversation. And thanks for yeah. talking about shit that I actually really, really, really deeply care about and want more people to be thinking about too, and for giving me the opportunity to to share. Hell yeah. Thanks for bringing it to the table and giving us like a a nice long show. It's been a while since we had a a nice long show. I like that. That's that's been a fun and wide ranging chat. So I I can't, I actually honestly am like looking forward to being able to recap all this. Oh yeah. We talked about some really fucking cool stuff. (laughs) 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 Looking forward to that guys. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. Have a good night. You too. Take care. (laughs) I do believe we are destined to be soul mates. Hit me one time. Hit me twice. Oh! Ah. oh. <laughs> That's rather nice. Boil and grime. Poison sludge. Diesel clouds and noxious muck. Slime beneath me. Mm. Slime. the world and all the creatures in it I suck them dry and spit them out like spinach cause greedy human beings will always lend a hand with the destruction of this wetness jungle land and what a beautiful machine they have Provided to slice a path of doom with my sweet breath to guide it. Love. <laughs> 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 <laughs>